0: This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, A new day is beginning. This is the renaissance of men. You are the renaissance.
1: My concept of relationships as being investments, uh, I guess my take on it is not necessarily an investment, because clearly it is, Um, but I think it's more than that. Um, A relationship is a partnership in life. You're taking someone on to be literally a partner in your life objectives, whatever they need to be, you know, or want to be, and hopefully they're parallel, uh, and and that you have the same life objectives. If you don't, there's going to be something wrong, uh, and and the, the, the relationship's not going to work out because you don't have necessarily the, the same re- objectives in life, uh, and that's a, that's something you should be screening and filtering f- directly for. But I see it as a partnership, not just a partnership, but one in which you're bound to because you want to be. It's a choice. And I think people choose marriage and relationships in a very frivolous, careless manner, typically based on attraction, uh, an emotional dependency need, uh, maybe a developmental task, that they have this notion that there's something wrong that they need to be fulfilled by. Uh, Jerry McGuire kind of coined it, uh, in the, the popular notion of you complete me would be a sign if somebody has a developmental task or a dependency need that's not fulfilled and they look for somebody else to fulfill that and they invest in this individual and they become wrapped up into that that's not going to be a healthy relationship but the the notion of being able to carry that forward choosing the right partner is absolutely an investment into your life and the success happiness fulfillment of your life will be directly related to the quality of choices you make and clearly the choice of a relationship and the quality of that relationship will determine the quality of your life
2: hello my name is Will Spencer and welcome to the Renaissance of Men podcast wisdom is a rare and precious commodity today to me one of the key signs of wisdom in a man is in his sense of nuance, which is why I'm so excited to introduce the next guest on my podcast, Socrates. No, not the ancient Greek philosopher, maybe someday, but a man very much after his heart. The Socrates I'll be talking with today is a licensed architect, blogger, speaker, author, father figure, and kind of the older brother I always wish I had. On his website, manningupsmart.com, and in his popular talks on the 21 Studios YouTube channel. He's a staunch defender of men, particularly in relationship, and a tireless advocate for how the right woman can make our lives better. But finding that right woman requires a sense of nuance and a degree of thoughtful consideration that isn't easy to find in our sensationalized, rapid-fire dating atmosphere. And that's where Socrates comes in. His capable mind and broad perspective on a life well-lived lends a philosophical depth to events like the 21 convention where he and I met, and to this men's movement in general. In this wide ranging conversation, he and I talk about the funny and fascinating origins of his name, Socrates, his experiences as a father, his personal transformation as a man to get to this stage in his life and where he's going next. We also talk about how his experience in architecture feeds into his work with men and vice versa, the struggles that some men face in overcoming tragedy and loss, including divorce and the death of loved ones, and finally, how and why he wears the crazy, colorful shirts he does. As you've probably noticed if you've listened to this podcast before, I love a good conversation. And after speaking for two hours, it's clear to me that Socrates and I could speak for at least two hours more. And I'm sure that someday we will. But for now, please enjoy this rich and fulfilling conversation with my next guest, Socrates. Hey, Socrates, thanks so much for joining the call with me today.
3: Uh, thank you for uh, having me and uh, it's a pleasure being here.
2: Awesome. So the first question I have to ask is is probably a pretty obvious one. I have to ask about your name, about the name Socrates. Uh, I, was, I,
3: I can tell several stories about it which 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 one would you like to hear?
2: Well, first, I just uh, want you to confirm that that is in fact your real name. It actually it is not, oh, it's uh, but not. At,
3: okay. at this it, it it is actually it is not, uh, but it goes well beyond my involvement in you know like what we're talking about in the manuscript and everything else. Uh, it's it's something I picked up in in college. In uh, interestingly enough, okay, uh, you know the real the real story is is that uh, uh, it, it, I was in the Army National Guard going through architecture school. I'm taking 21 credits a semester, and this is a five year program, and I'm probably about year four into a seven year process. And you just don't have time to waste, uh, you know, so you'd come back from a guard drill, wash all the camouflage off of yourself, scrub yourself clean, change, and then we'd go hit the bar, you know, as fast as possible, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with the guys. And so it, it was mission oriented. And this one particular night I had started talking to a sorority girl who was just super, super cute. And uh, the issue was I had no game, didn't really know what I was doing other than I was just being a regular guy and just being myself, uh, which really didn't necessarily help a whole lot. Uh, and so I ended up getting a, uh, for better, better term, uh, a mog uh, by this uh, fraternity brother who just basically came in and was all over and she was kind of upset with it. And the, the one thing I did do is, is sit down and make the assumption that they were boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, and, and I learned later that, Hey, that was a key thing to kind of do. And she immediately starts denying it and everything else. And I was like, Hey, no worries. Uh, you've got your friends. I'm going to start, I'm going to roll out. And she grabs me and she goes, I didn't get your name. And on a split second decision, I, I told a lie. I told her my name was Sock, mm-hmm. and she's like, "What?" You know, and, and I go, "Yeah, it's Sock, like your, you know, your footwear." You know, but uh, it's it's short for soccer. It's, it's a it's a long misguided love story, and I and I it, it, I'll tell you another, I'll tell you some other time. And I start rolling yeah. off. She literally latches on, pulls me in, dumps this guy right there. And the, but then you have to sit down and say where did this come from. So. Uh, okay. I then leveraged uh, a factual story uh, of my parents. Um, they're both from small towns in Montana, just uh, next to each other, small money towns. And, you know, my dad was the captain of the baseball team and had a reputation. My mother was one of four co-eds at the School of Mines at the time. And so you can imagine a university system with four women in it. And so that was that was my mother. Mm-hmm. And so she learned really quick who the players were and everything else. But the the problem was she was warned off my father as, as a player, like, you know, don't go out with this guy. So, Mm -hmm. you know, don't, don't, don't even engage him. Don't talk to him. So what ended up happening was my dad couldn't figure out a way to, to meet her. So what he decided, the, the guys on the team found out that she was taking this uh, English literature course that he had just barely passed with a quote, a D minus. Okay, <laughs> we find that out later, but that's that's a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. Details. So so he ends up going back in and sitting in on this class, and he and he dresses in his letterman jacket and whole nine yards, gets really cleaned up and sits in the front row. And his, his classmates actually write one good question that he had. And so he would remember the question to ask, and he would sit. Now, the professor sitting and realizing you barely passed my class last time. and I just did it because you're on the baseball team. What are you doing here? And he didn't say anything. So about three or four weeks go into this and he's still there. And so at some point, um, the professor kind of figures what's up and has the two of them stand up and they have to read excerpts of a play uh together and they kind of agreed at that point to kind of see each other kind of go out and so that was a, a really important thing to them and so they decided to say hey wouldn't it be interesting if uh we go out and we end up marrying each other wouldn't it be interesting that if we named our firstborn son after this playwright socrates
2: mm-hmm.
3: and that's it's a fabulous love story the, the only problem is socrates didn't write plays
2: Oh, details. Details. Don't yeah, yeah Details. So, <laughs>
3: so that that was kind of the initiation on that. So, um, I became kind of an alter personality at that point, you know, because there was this, you know, my my real life, really serious, really just hyper focused, to all of a sudden just being on fire, going out personality, you know, just saying we're we're going to have a, a blast and we're going to do things. So, they would sit down and say, "Hey, can can Sock come out?" And mm-hmm. so Sock became the the fun me in, in essence. And so, you know, when it came time for me to choose a Namaker for uh, the pickup cl- uh, layer that I was in, I just chose that because, um, it, one, it was easy. Two, the notion of know yourself was terribly important to me. Mm-hmm. I was looking at other things in my life, and I was looking for more than just learning game and, and running on chicks. I really was looking at self-development in a time period where that really wasn't particularly popular and not sanctioned by the organ, not by the group. And so mm-hmm. I was kind of an outlier to begin with. And then I'm in my late 30s at that point. You know, what, what am I going to do with all these guys that are in 21, 22, 23, you know? And then mm-hmm. there were some older guys, but I thought it fit. So, you know, it's one of those things I've, I've maintained. Uh, I was asked to come back and speak at the 21 convention. And because I had been writing and doing stuff on that, I just maintained
2: it. Oh God. Okay. So, so the, so the, the name that came up as sock in that spontaneous moment, that was kind of a a half joke, but your parents actually meeting and, and, and speculating about naming their first child, Socrates, that really happened. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so, 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 so the... it's
3: it's it's it, it was it's it's you you know it's one of those things where you, you don't want to sit down and say how do how do you tell a good lie but that, that I guess that's how you tell a good lie is that yeah. you make ninety percent of it true right other yeah. than that one critical point and and in which it was fascinating to me was that uh, even when I was learning um, pickup but particularly with this young gal was that I was able to leverage stories immediately it's like can you imagine going through life as socrates and you know Mm -hmm, what -hmm. what that was kind of like and you know i had the coolest nickname as a kid you know sock you know that was that was a cool nickname you know right up to the point i had my first job at the record record company right you know the Mm -hmm. little little uh, used uh record store and she really kind of enjoyed that and then we talked about a couple other things but it was this notion that you're living under the shadow of your father and what it was like to live under not only your father but greater men than yourselves and you know and and so it was a it was a segue to Relate empathetically with somebody, and to have something of interest that I could convey instead of having the you know standard convention of hey, uh, what's your major? You know, uh, you know, right. hey, you know, where 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 in town do you live? Uh, hey, hey, come here opting, All the all the stupid tripe and. And so you became much more fascinating. And then I also related that back to her. Something I learned uh, fairly quickly was not to sit down and say, if she said, you know, hey, I've got an old, you know, two older brothers, you don't go, hey, I have a brother too. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, tell me about that. Mm-hmm. You know and so it was at a lot of those sort of things, and so i I, I managed to segue that rather rather adeptly uh, with no conscious understanding of what I was doing. you know, as much only much later in retrospect that you sit down and say, "God, that was brilliant. You had no idea why, you know right yeah. it it just worked, yeah, you know? so.
2: Well, the, the first two guests I've had on the podcast, the subject of names has come up. So Tanner Guzzi was my first guest, and he talked about how um, a divorce that he went through, his ex-wife was able to say some negative things about him online. And it was always able, able to be tied back to him because his name was Tanner Guzzi, and that's a pretty right. distinctive name. And then Zach Small had recently been writing as Hunter Drew, and th- then he put on uh, his he decided to drop the pseudonym and put on his real name, Zach Small. And so now you come on, and now you have the name Socrates, and this relates to me as well, because. I I was Bill for many years, and I chose will uh, to change William is my birth name, but my parents called me Bill, and I decided when I went to college to be Will. and that was a big change for me. So I actually have I am interested in 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 you carrying the name Socrates. That's a frady, heavy name. It's, uh, it's, it, you, you realize
3: I'm not going to be able to live up to it. So, so one, course, one course. don't try, yeah, but course. you, you sit down and say, you, you empathetically try to sit down and say, how can I emulate, you know, and, mm-hmm. and follow any greater man's footsteps and in that process, I become a better man myself, you mm-hmm. know, because you you end up going places that you would not normally have gone by yourself or, or by, by your own accord. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's also to me. And, and so it's a touchstone. And at this point, I, I don't feel like I'm committing a fraud, if that sounds kind of odd, no. is that, no. you know, I've, I've lived with this for, you know, better part of 20, 22, 23 years at this point, mm-hmm. you know, and so I've got friends who you know, hear my real name and they kind of laugh like, oh yeah, okay. You know, and, Mm -hmm. and depending on the context, everybody, and and that's the other thing in my family, it's very common to have everybody have a different nickname for you, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's rarely uh, repeated. So, you know, it was again, you know, within the family culture of, of, of realm of, of, you know, I guess existence as far as like, you know, we're already established uh, patterns of, um, naming and you know developing affinity for people with uh, alternative names, so then what they really are.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, well I, I also, and, and at this point, I'll, I'll be really honest. Um, I, I even if I didn't have one, I would have chosen one. Particularly with some in the light in the last couple of years, uh, you know, my daughter's been threatened, my family's been threatened. Uh, some you know some really kind of horrific things that have been at least postulated, mm-hmm. and you just sit down and say it's at at, the, at this point it's it's a measure of safety, even though it's, it's veneer thin, mm-hmm. uh, you just have to be smarter than kind of the average person before you actually figure out who I am. But it's, it, it would be a real easy exercise to anybody who has any ability.
2: Oh, for sure. Uh, may I ask about the the threats? Is that a, a subject you're comfortable talking about?
3: Um, uh, yeah. Inter- Interesting enough, um, you know, because I, ta- um, uh, you know, I sit down and say, yeah. I, I, I provide cr- criticism and feedback to feminism. Sure. Uh, I take a pretty hard stand. T- I'm not as, uh, uh, nearly as vicious or open uh, as some of the other guys. You know, I, I don't sure. toss firebombs intentionally. Uh, but, you know, some of the criticisms I've, I've been pretty sharp with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, th- I think in many cases it's sold as one thing, but it, it's del- what it's delivered uh, is a whole different set of poison.
1: Mm-hmm. I uh, you
3: know, even my 22 talk covered a lot of that um, probably in the most gentle terms I've ever used. Uh, so, so that, that was a, a nice improvement or a nice change. Uh, so, so there's that, uh, you know, I've had, you know, people show up at the house, uh, you know, I've, I've literally been physically assaulted. You know, mm-hmm. if you can imagine that, you know, different times, um, you know, locally here in Orlando, it was interesting. Uh, we had a gender studies where it was a, a study in masculinity mm-hmm. and because of my involvement, Uh, the individual at the uh, university had kind of was aware of some of my work outside of the campus, you know, dealing with 21 convention. So he asked me to attend an off-campus event, and I was struck when I was offered the syllabus for the course. It had nothing to do with masculine studies. Mm. It was a lesbian study course and transgender course on how to assume these kind of faux roles uh, for themselves, and that, that was shocking. It had no interest on men, no interest in men's rights, no interest in men's health, no interest and men's well-being spirituality none of those sort of things you know uh, and so the, i i found that shocking um i had the audacity to bring that up um and uh, you can imagine what that was like uh, mm-hmm. so 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 there was that uh, and then you just get some people who end up posting things online you know that that are particularly nasty you know where you take uh some violent porn images mm-hmm. And then overlay somebody's face over it. In one particular instance, uh, somebody used a photo of my daughter, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being sodomized with a bat. And so, you know, you sit down and, and by the time I, I you know, I, I was so shocked at the time that because you have to go to the site. Somebody said something it's like, hey, you better see this. And I went and it, you know, you just you look at it and go, it's it's. It, it's vile you know it's you know part of you says it's it's just what it is the other part says no it's really not and so you just sort of you know give notice and you know, to contact the FBI uh incident and say hey does this quantify as child pornography and if so um you know, <laughs> you know that's that's my daughter and it's being leveraged in uh, you know in, in an inappropriate way to say the least
2: well, that sounds yeah. terrible. I had no idea that any of this happened, and I've been I've been uh, you know absorbing your con- your content pretty consistently over the past week, doing my background research, and I don't find what you say to be all that controversial, especially because your focus is on men understanding themselves and forming healthy and happy partnerships and relationships as the ultimate goal. Um, I, I don't find that to be a controversial idea at all. But uh, you, know.
3: you would you would think you know, and and it, and it's not so much even what you say. That a lot of cases they don't even get a chance to listen to what you say. It's, it's the right. fact that you're standing over there. It's them versus us, and you're them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so part of that I I get for the for the most part, honestly, it's it. I'll, I'll be honest soon. I I hope it stays that way. Is I pretty much flown under the radar. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are more controversial figures you know that are around. Uh, so even in some of the reports of the conventions themselves. I'm not a prominent figure, although highly involved within the event itself, mm-hmm. you know, and so, you know, Anthony jokes that, you know, I have this amazing cult following that nobody will be aware of, you know, and, and it's, it's, it is kind of true. It's, it's, it is interesting the number of people who you'll walk through the hotel or, you know, somewhere and all of a sudden somebody will recognize you or say something. Uh, uh, yeah, the, probably the most remarkable was, uh, when I was flying, I was, uh, I had a layover in Chicago and, and it was in one of the, the lounge and, uh, you know, somebody comes up and goes, you're, you're Socrates, you know. I don't like. Wow. hi, oh, here we go. <laughs> That's great.
2: I can go <laughs> so, either way.
3: So, yeah, you just like my moment arrived, right? Somebody out in the general public actually knew who you were, so that that, that was pretty cool.
2: What did he was? It was a he, you said.
3: Yeah, it was a guy. Yeah.
2: What did he? What did he want to talk to you about? Yeah, you
3: know, interesting. He just had all sorts of ideas. Um, my book hadn't come out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and, and i talked about the, the, the first book. And so, you know, we, we talked a little bit about some of that, you know, because it was right around that time period in which I was putting the, the information together and kind of ran them through it and said, hey, you know, do, do you even, you know, it, one, it was like, let, let's talk in general, you know, it's like, do you understand the social marketplace? Do you understand the factors that make it up? Mm-hmm. And I quite literally we did it over a, a you know a bar napkin, you know, uh, just a XY graph and mm-hmm. you know natural selection, social selection. And uh between those two factors, where do you kind of fall? You know, and just know that you know, we used a scale of one to ten. And I, I wasn't really concerned with detailing it, but just to give them an idea, hey, this is where you're at and know know what know kind of what these zones are, you know, mm-hmm. and what happens. You know, are you a Above or below the sex threshold, mm-hmm. and that was something that he became. It, it became a palatable reality. he's like, well, uh, 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 I, I want to be over, but clearly I'm not. And it's like, okay, let's talk about that, mm-hmm. you know. And know that it's not a defined line; it's going to fluctuate by, you know, per woman what her standards are, and th- that standards also fluctuates as well. It's for, and I like I told him it's very much like a jump rope. You mm-hmm. know, you got it. You got to know when to kind of, you know. And that was kind of a pickup thing. I gotta go, but but the bottom line is, if if you move yourself well past the sex threshold you're always going to be above, mm-hmm. you know, and, and for him, it was, you know, I hate to say this too, but more normalizing behavior. It wasn't anything remarkable. It was just more normal, normalizing behavior. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the converse, uh, women tend to have an issue of getting above the relationship threshold mm-hmm. is that men will find him, find him sexually desirable, but they don't tr- mm-hmm. transcend a value of a relationship. And in those mm-hmm. cases, a lot of these women have Very few relationship skills. They don't know how to manage a relationship. They don't know how to maintain one, and you know they definitely don't know how to repair it outside of sex. And uh, that, unfortunately, the skills you go into a relationship with are the ones you're going to be utilizing.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, what and so. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
3: No, 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 no. So, so, it, and and so I would sit down and say, but the, it was probably about a 25 minute discussion with him before he had to catch his flight.
2: Mm-hmm. That's from your, and I'll, I'll link this in the show notes. That's so from, from your personal key to the sexual marketplace, I think is the name of the talk where you do go into that specifically, that graph. And um, so I'll link that in the show notes for people who aren't familiar yeah, with that. And, what you're and about. actually,
3: there, there's the YouTube video of that where that yep. does it pretty well. Uh, and then I've been kind of trying to do it on my own YouTube videos itself where I did kind of a video and I started putting some of this stuff out. Okay. Uh, it's very, very, incomplete, but if anybody has kind of a you know doesn't want to necessarily pick up the book or read it, you can see the the overall video where I present that in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Uh and then also my own where I start to kind of go into a little bit more a little bit more finer detail. Okay. Yeah. So, I,
2: I'd like to share that with everybody because what okay. I thought was so interesting about that is I was I was talking to Tony Bruno about this, that you know, in this in this world of the manosphere, or as I call it the renaissance of men, we have a tendency to put men into labels like oh, your alpha and your beta, right. and these uh, these poles are in opposition to each other. And I like the way that you laid it out in the graph to say that. No, there are there are um, dominant skills and then there are social skills and these appear these appear on a uh, on a non mutually exclusive kind of hierarchy like you can be higher in one or low in the other and that sort of drained it of this sort of negative alpha versus beta kind of charge and I thought well, that was it really, yeah. I thought that was a really, a really positive step so that men can see that we exist on a continuum or a spectrum with each other right. right? right.
3: You know, and and personally, I mean, just use my own example. You know, at this point, I'm a pretty obese guy, right? You know, it's like, you know, I've aged, you know, gained quite a bit of weight. Granted, when I was running game, I was probably a good 45, 50 pounds lighter. Mm -hmm. But even then, still a heavy guy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it would not be, you know, to sit down and say, okay, if I wanted to improve my natural selection rate, you know, because of of attraction, those, those sort of dominant characteristics, the best thing I could do. Would be to get fit, right? You know, mm-hmm. lose some weight, get fit, get healthy, and then that would improve my sexual marketability. You know, and so that's kind of a, 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 you know, what, what are your your lowest values? Those are the areas that you can probably increase the the most with the least amount of effort, and so therefore they have the the biggest bang for the buck. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, guys don't want to face that. Right? You know, they always want the 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 silver bullet. You know, get just give me the the one line. What's the the one thing you do to pick up the girl or whatever it is? Uh, and same thing with the relationships. You know, if you don't have Social skills, you know, do do you understand that all you know relationship skills diffuse tension, you know, to reduce violence in, you know, one degree or another? You know, to sit down and say effective listening skills, you know, okay, that's a relationship skill, but effective listening skills allows the other person to be heard and seen and understood, mm-hmm. and that diffuses tension, misunderstandings, anxiety, those sort of things in you know, you, you know the, the human being is terribly complex and there's more than one pathway for um, uh, mate coupling, you know, or, mm-hmm. or selection. Um, now there's a dominant one, you know, there's no doubt. Uh, sex, is, sex sells and sex thrives and that's the, the predominant one, but there, there are other ways you can do that. Um, and so in this video, I kind of talk about some of that to, to a certain degree, you know, and, and you know, do you really want to be the high-end intellectual? You know, but you'd have to have a considerable amount of fame if you're below the sex threshold. You know, to kind of kind of get there in
2: some cases. Right, we start getting into you know three D multivariate analysis of the sexual marketplace, and that's <laughs> yeah, Well, that's well, well, so well even if
3: it's even if it's just two D, like you know, I okay. think the example I used was Stephen Hawking's. You know, right. here's Not here's yet. here here's a guy who who has all these physical handicaps that face of him, but I'm sure if he wanted to, he could probably get laid. There's some chick out there who would probably just bang the shit out of him <laughs> for the celebrity factor notoriety. Do you really hey, hey. want to be that guy? No, but no. can you? And the answer is yes. Now he was he would he would be leveraging something beyond the physical characteristics. He would mm-hmm. be, you know, uh, he, you know, pr- most likely fame would be the, the biggest one, mm-hmm. you know, in intellect and all those sort of things. And of course, you know, there's a variety. So when I talk natural selection, it's not just the physical components, you know, mm-hmm. particularly with men. And uh, the thing that I find truly fascinating about it, is the difference between men and women. Uh, for the most part, we're very similar and our choice selection with mates are very, very similar. Mm-hmm. But where we differ, they become very interesting and you know they become emphasized in their differential. And so we pay a lot of attention to that uh, and we should, uh, but we've, we fail to realize that there's a relationship between the two. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. extreme hypergamy and extreme hypogamy of male's interest, uh, when coupled together will be very, very beneficial for both. Mm. Both say, will be met satisfied.
2: Say more about that. I, I know, Of course, I know the term hy- hypergamy. But I don't know that I, I have heard the term Hypogamy.
3: Yeah, and interesting, it's it's hypergamy is a is a natural state for a woman's selection for a mate. You know, it's nothing mm-hmm. more than that. It's not good, bad, it's just it is.
2: Right. It's a biological hypergamy
3: impulse. is a male's version of it. Okay. You know, and because we have uh, uh an imperative unto ourselves. And so you, know, you can't sit down and say, "Well, it doesn't exist." it oh, sure, shit does. You know, mm-hmm. it's like men men tend to want younger, hotter, fitter, fine, free, you know, sexually available, all those sort of things. And that's different from women who want uh, resources and stability, protection, all those sort of elements associated with um, evolutionary history and biology.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: And so, understanding the difference between a woman's hypergamous nature, okay, what her self interests are, compared to a man's, some will have you believe that they're in conflict with each other, that one needs to dominate the other for peace to reign. Mm-hmm. And I, I fundamentally don't believe that. And that's, that's where I run afoul of a lot of the red pill in the mass sphere mm-hmm. is that I, I sit down and say, no, we're, we're, we're compatible and complementary. Mm -hmm. And we need to make sure we maintain them, you know, Mm -hmm. and when you have it lopsided, you just have dominance and no one really thrives with that. Not, you know, either side, the the person dominating and the domineered. Uh, And so, you know, I talk about that. I always I to, to the point that I always open my talks as of late. Um, Last several years is that I I say that I say that we're meant for each other. And that's that's the garden principle. The whole thing is that whatever social construct you come up with to meet today's solutions, you have to bring it back to does it bring us together? If it doesn't bring us together, it's not a valid design concept. You know, oh. go back, you know, as as the head of a studio, I would sit down and say, Okay, guys, I understand we're we're trying to solve a problem here, but we failed to meet the prog- program objective. Mm. Let's go back and look at this again. Let's let's revisit this. And so that's I see that kinda of as my role within this this framework. Mm-hmm. Um so what what it does is it clearly puts me on opposing sides to both men in the manosphere as well as feminists. So I, mm-hmm. I get I get flack from both sides pretty effectively.
2: I think that's great. I think the more people some in some ways, the more people you piss off the day that today, the more uh, that you're doing things. Right. Yeah, I I, tr- I actually try not to do that, but I, every once oh, in a yeah. while,
3: it, it's just it, it's I I'm I'm not that big of a man to to enjoy throwing you know rocks at a glass
2: wall. No, no, I mean you're not a bomb thrower. Like you're you're speaking you're speaking truth as you see it, and and yeah, you are know, not out there you know intentionally causing controversy.
3: I, well, and t- well, two, two of my most recent speeches are uh, the one I gave in Warsaw a year ago. Uh, was uh, talking about the cult of hypergamy. Mm-hmm. And I was taking direct aim at some of the men in the manosphere mm-hmm. uh, and their nature of it. And I talk about it. and it's and it's gone beyond just uh, an awareness to become a quota of philosophy, which it should never have been. Um, but it's it's been kind of corrupted where there there's individuals that become the font of all this knowledge, and that they're the gatekeepers of who's in, who's out, and it's become dogmatized. Mm-hmm. Um, and anytime you have dogma involved, uh, you've got problems, and mm-hmm. so I I call attention to that. Uh, it's people I've known, you know, and people I've talked to, and so these these are not unfamiliar characters uh, uh, with me. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we we're particularly close, but it's it's you know we we've engaged on several kids has met, they've been in my house uh, so forth. so it's mm-hmm. it's it it, it kind of makes that part of the story a little more fascinating too. So, if, you know, when you're throwing stones. You're not necessarily just sort of throwing stones at uh you know a, a you know socrates in general you know you're throwing stones at somebody you know you know and and sure. you know the more than just their their their
2: byline name mm-hmm, so. of course well i think what's really interesting is is um where I differ with the critical theory, which is part of American culture right now, unfortunately, but where I differ strongly is that it frames everything in terms of a power struggle. Every relationship, every every social dynamic, every social construct or institution is all about power, and everything must be viewed for, through the power lens. And as you're talking about your uh, how you feel about hypergamy. Uh, in general, it, it, it views everything as a power struggle as well. And it's sort of, you know, and whereas the, the quote red pill and the critical theorists, the feminists would seem to be on exact opposite sides of the spectrum. They're both framing things in a very similar way. It's about a power and dominance. And I just don't, I don't agree that that's, that, that's a core aspect of existence. It is an aspect of existence. But when you focus on that to the exclusion of so many other aspects of reality, everything gets very distorted. And I think you're right for calling that out.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I haven't been as bad as I probably could have been, uh, but I didn't want to be a bomb thrower, you know, and right. I knew it was going to get some attention. I knew it was going to put the right people the right way. And so you, you end up doing some of that. And I thought also it was fair to you need to be critical and provide feedback across the spectrum, not just mm-hmm. as a man to feminists and women in general. We need to look upon ourselves and monitor ourselves as well. And that's part of that. you know. And so my 22 talk this year, I talk about women have an obligation to police their own. And I, mm-hmm. I believe we have a, an obligation as men mm-hmm. to police our own as well. You know, and, and that, by the way, is a, a very common in any sort of pack philosophy you know, when you have mammals, uh, that they will police their own.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right.
3: And that's a sign of a, a healthy pack is when they do. Um, when they don't, there's something gone awry.
2: Oh, I, I completely agree. Like we we all have to be responsible for each other and we have to, you know, let each other experience our freedom, but also be like, well, hold on there. Let's have an actual dialogue about this. And there are some times where it's appropriate to to throw stones, you know, and, and to provoke an active an active, active dialogue as opposed to if what what comes back is insults and, and anger and vitriol, that's a totally different thing. But certainly I'm allowed I'm allowed to speak truth and challenge your your ideas and you can challenge my ideas back. And that's part of that's part of a healthy evolution of any group, I would say.
1: Right. You know, but
3: I'll also say it, too, is I've avoided a lot of the forums and the areas of the communities uh, where these guys were naturally uh, conglomerating because it was a lot of bomb throwing. It was guys who were damaged goods looking for a fight, engaging in a fight and became nothing more than um, a cyber version of Fight Club ideologically,
1: mm-hmm. you know, and
3: I said, t- yeah, I, I just, I, I, I've got too many other things going on in my life and I just honestly just don't give a shit, you know? And so, you know, I, I avoided a lot of that, like uh, the red pill and Reddit. I just, I've like, other than a few times just kind of look, uh, you just sit and I go, yeah, th- this is, this is a shit show that I just don't need to be involved in.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, let's, 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 let's talk about that a little bit about the difference of, of the way that people interact on a, on a forum behind a screen name and with text than actually showing up on a video or, or a podcast or, or at, a, at a conference and speaking up on behalf of your ideas openly and, and in the public. I think there's something very powerful about that and very necessary about that. Yeah. So what what you, Are you willing to stand behind and represent what you what you say you are? Yeah, I, I think I've, I've took it
3: probably way, way, way too far. Uh, I say that um, <laughs> up, up until, uh, I want to say a year and a half ago, um, something that we didn't really advertise but um, if you went to the convention to so the say 21 convention or the patriarch or whatever it was I invited every anybody who attended during the event to come to my house one evening uh, as a whole group mm-hmm. okay and I hosted a party at the house and so in the kind of the biggest one we had we had over 200 people at my house wow. and the idea is that hey, I'm up there talking, come over, we'll sit and talk because I I really believe I wanted to have that social element, not just guys sitting in a lounge or a lobby uh, talking, but in a house home situation, a home of the speaker. And then to sit down and say, my life's not perfect, you know, by, by, you know, any, any number of measures and to come over and be that vulnerable uh, and to allow them to come in, guys, I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, but knew enough that, hey, they, they felt compelled enough to attend, to pay the money, to take the emotional risk and all, all the vulnerable elements that, that, go with going to a convention like this and say, yeah, we've got something to in common, I'm going to trust you. Uh, And so we did that. Part of the reason we didn't was because the venues went much further from where I live from, you know, either downtown, we Mm -hmm. went down to I Drive area uh, so that the commute was much longer, but also kind of the threats that we were getting where it was uh, some things that changed. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And so I didn't do that. Uh, But I had also always brought the speakers back after the convention. And so at my house the last night, we'll have everybody and you, you were able to attend this last one. Thank you. And, and there really is something about when you have people coming to share and talk ab- about ideas and not just sit down and say, I'm going to be up on a stand or I'm going to stand behind my blog or a post or my book and just present ideas. Uh, I've been to conventions where guys come up, they present and they leave. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. and that's it's not how you develop community. Um, It's not how you develop relationships with people. It's not how you you share and learn and develop. Uh, And there's things that, you know, it's going to sound kind of corny, but um, the second book that we actually helped work on was a project that we developed during a convention. Uh, and it was something that, that came out during one of the, the, house, the house party at the house. And the following day, we picked up, ran with it. Uh, and we were able to get everything from the writing to the graphic design to the whole conceptual concepts done at the convention, followed up on it. And that was the children's book, My Red Hat. Mm-hmm, yeah. And it was an anti-bullying book. But, you know, using kind of the political gesture of the, the red cap has been an incendiary thing. And we thought we were going way too far uh, having an adult attack a child. For, or for adult, an adult right. bully job, and three weeks after we had our first proof copy, uh, Covington kids happened, mm-hmm. and so that that was just a shock. Uh, but you know, you wouldn't have that sort of development if you didn't have the ability for people to socialize, network, and to see each other as people. And so I I'm really big on doing. It's one of the reasons why I try to attend. Each and every of the speeches that I can that I'm in the hallways, I'm talking to the guys and and going as far as I can to create that sense of community. And, and, you know, it's why Anthony had me become the kind of the first ambassador for 21 convention, 21 summit and George Bruno's the, the, the other one.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, you know this also gets back to the notion of your name, You know, Socrates. You know, Socrates all, was all about Soca- Socratic dialogue. It wasn't right. about, I'm yep. going to preach at you from up on high. I'm going to ask you questions, and together we're going to get right. to the bottom Who of the we're answers. We're going to get to it, right. Yeah. And, and, and
3: I know as an architect, you know, I'm responsible for a multidiscipline team. Right. Uh, and something I kind of bring up, and I, I don't think people pick up on it, how important it is, is that I, I think that any of the problems we face in society— um, no one discipline is going to have a solution because if a single discipline could command it, it would have already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you need to bring multiple disciplines together to look at it differently, reframe it, bring different uh, methods of solving these sort of issues or, or constructs uh, together. And I, I see that with groups. And so, you know, whether if it's in architecture, I'm using, you know, MEPs, you know, uh, mechanical, engineered, electrical, plumbing, structural, civil, you know, all those sort of groups. Um, I personally draw upon a lot of allied disciplines that I don't have degrees in, you know, but like I don't have an engineering degree, but I definitely know structures or mechanical or electrical. I need to be able to speak on technical terms with them and understand what's going on and why uh, in in some really nuanced areas. And so I do the same thing with uh, uh, biology, evolutionary, uh, uh, psychology, um, you know, sociology, those sort of constructs and try to frame that together. And as an architect, our job is to kind of, to have a program where we want to do what we're trying to achieve, and then make that tangible by bringing these different disciplines together. I I may not be the expert on it, but I I can research it and bring these folks to bear. Mm-hmm. And then that's what I I, I sincerely try to do. Mm-hmm.
2: I I have my own answer to this question, but I'm curious how you see the same thing applying to the to the Renaissance of men, as I as I call it, the same multidisciplinary approach.
3: It, you know, to be honest, I think it's it, it's going to take us in areas that we couldn't even conceive. Mm-hmm. And that's the point is that um, one of the things that we did when we were in uh, the pickup layer was that we created a mastermind. It was this notion that if you bring three or more people together to bear on an idea – you know, and and sincerely think about it. You'll come up with more concepts than what any one of any one of you had done individually. And mm-hmm. I know that's true in architecture as well when we talk about a studio environment and design and uh, and the, the notion of within design is uh, I find it very important is you have to be willing to fail to be creative. Cause if you're not willing to fail, you cannot be creative. Uh, and I, I think we've lost that. Um, what I really loved about uh, pickup was that we would try different um, gurus' uh, philosophies or mm-hmm. or their mm-hmm. methods, and and not so much just sort of like okay, th- you know, read it, uh, but actually go out and field test it. And the, the group we were with were really diligent about that. And it wasn't just one or two. They, they would do it for a period of two weeks, and it would be consistent. And so when I was in architecture school, they would sit down and say, if you want to know what it's like to be a Buddhist, be a Buddhist. You know? And so th- we took on the kind of the same concept. And, but you were willing to fail. Mm-hmm. And, and particularly in p- uh, pickup, it was all about embracing the fail because that was the only place you're going to learn is not where you did it successfully because you you just got lucky. Uh, You had to to find out and push to figure out where the failure points were to then overcome the next second point. So there was a tremendous amount of evolution with – you know, that sort of creativity and process and and to see that grow uh, was really fascinating. And uh, not that I'm advocating pickup now, but you sit say, I think in, you know, like you're talking about the Renaissance I and mean, we're going to need to kind of embrace some more of that, you know, whether it's new family structures or stuff, you know, one of the things I talked about in the patriarchy event is that the social compact with educating our children has been violated and broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to send children to uh, institutions that uh, were from our communities, uh, individuals that were taught and raised and developed in our communities that represented our communities and our values um, and interests—that's no longer true, mm-hmm. you know. And so, if that's true, um, you can't you can't expect to send your children to Rome and have them come back and be critical of Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, you when you send your children away, somebody else is cultivating them. And if we're talking about men uh, taking the leadership uh, world, we we need to understand where men play a really significant uh, role in children's lives. And it's not at the beginning. Uh, mom dominates mm-hmm. at that time period. you know. So the, the nurturing element, you know, mothers nurture, fathers cultivate. So that there's this inflection point when uh, mothers need to nurture less and fathers cultivate more. Um, and so I think understanding that transition, but unfortunately that's at the time period in which we sent our children to school. Mm-hmm. And dad misses out. Um, dad may go to work and provide for the family, but they don't see it. And there used to be a time when they saw it, uh, you know, whether it was a family farm or whatever is they were involved in it. And so we were talking this last round, last two years about redoing it, particularly with COVID. Um, you know as an architect, I would never think to be able to practice at home unless I had my own practice. Mm-hmm. You know there would be no way I could work for a, a, a firm that I do uh, and work from home. Uh, CoVID has completely changed that and I think for the better is it's afforded me an opportunity to be home and to create the family environment in which you know my daughter may be right next to me, Uh, studying her online classes and doing her reading and studying while I'm at work, quote, work, you know, Mm -hmm. with her right next to her. And it's a studio environment. And how much more will be gained because of it, you know? And do I really want to spend time, you know, at the water cooler with my colleagues or – would it be better to spend having lunch with my daughter? You know, And I'm, I'm lucky to the fact that I live very close to where I work, and so I'm home every day at lunch. And so I get some of that, but even still, I, I look at it and go, no, you're, you're missing some of this. And, and while I can know that you know, a child only needs 20 minutes of undivided attention from, from uh, the father primarily, They desperately want more than that, and they deserve Mm -hmm. more than that. And so how do I do that? How do I fit that in? And something's got to change. And so I think that we need to look at some of this notion is is that maybe dad does stay home and develops a business that he does is able to work from home. Um, And that's not the exclusion of the mother. I think the the mother's nurturing role shifts from the child back to the family. Uh, and that needs to be you know, particularly important to shift from uh, nurturing a child to then nurturing their relationship in the marriage. And that's often lost. Moms become uh, lost when the children go to class. You know, there's uh, a lot of that going on. And typically there's a reason why ma- marriages uh, fail at five to seven year mark. Um, and by the way, there's a biological rationale for that too. It's, you know, it's conferred as a mating season uh, biologically. And so if we're going to look at you know, child investment and child rearing for longer periods of time. And I think, and I've spoken to this as well at uh, some of the presentations I've given is that that's where brain development really continues on. And where we see successful, you know, the RK theory in some instances, if you want to pick on some of that um, is, is terribly important. And I think in many cases, if we talk patriarchy, we need to speak beyond just our own legacy. It's not just our children Uh, to be Darwinian successful you need to have your children's have children of their own. So mm-hmm. you need to be focused in on grandchildren. And You're not successful as a human being until your children have children of their own. Mm-hmm. And we see that in grandparents. You know, uh, Tex um, was talking about uh, the phrase I'll never forget. He sat down and he says that you never realize how insignificant your own children become until you see your grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was fantastic. And there's a, there's a number of kind of very human things about it is that they can step in into ways um, they're, they're, they're separated from the situation. They can see things a little bit differently. And they have a chance to make the amends of being the parent that they quite weren't were mm-hmm. with their own children, you know, with their children. And that's a legacy. Yep. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's about strengthening your family tree. And if we're, we're seriously going to look at that, we need to start looking multi-generationally about family construct. You know, um, and I know, you know, for example, Ivan's talked about the richness of his family history and how his family has a book where they've written all these stories and lessons about individuals lives and they have these manuscripts uh, to this day and they, of course, they go way back into history and how that's influenced him. It gives him a sense of who he is. Uh, Steve William talks about the value of his family name, and he ingrains that into his children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we need to do similar type things. And you, know, you, you sit down and say, okay, what do the wealthy do? They're not necessarily concerned about gaining wealth. They're, they're concerned about generational wealth.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, and that, that's something very differently. And, and let's, let's apply that to other areas. How about, you know, uh, you know, where, where's a man truly rich? Uh, you know, it's not just in wealth and health. Uh, it's, it's in that, that, that vibrant nature of a family, you know, um, as what is it Zorba the Greek talks about the whole calamity of life is, is not that, not that you've lost out on that or you won out but that you were able to live life to the point that it overflowed your own cup and spilled into the life of others mm-hmm. and that that I think is something terribly important particularly when you become accessible as an individual is that you don't know where you make impressions uh, and and to see some of that now coming back we've had um, our up until recently our photographer, uh, had found the 21 convention when he was 10. Now he's working the event. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had a couple of guys who had found uh, the 21 convention, some of the uh, the videos that were on it, and had changed the course of their lives and their career, and they're now up on stage talking. And uh, I find that just stunning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you go, I had no idea that I was getting involved in something to that degree. Um, I can talk all day about how it's changed me as a man, Okay. Oh, uh, that yeah yeah and, I was going to
2: ask you about that so
3: Yeah yeah you know to be honest you know you know let's talk you know I I I went from you know pick up chasing ass and women you know in a party town you know, because I was kind of bored. I came from Washington, D.C. that had a whole different cultural spins on it that I embraced. But yeah. you sit down and go, okay, well, you know, other than getting smashed in downtown Orlando, what do you do on a regular time, you know? And and, and honestly, the conversations you're having were not necessarily top tier by, by a long shot. And I'm not a sports guy. So I'm like, mm-hmm. you're really screwed, right? Uh, and so you, you end up kind of, you know, finding pickup, and you develop some skills, and, and you, you end up having a lot of fun with it. You, you learn to insight, and it was a journey uh, that, that I became better at that dynamic. I became a better individual, more confident. I can repeat my successes, uh, and then, but I kept having failed relationships, and mm-hmm. it, it kind of bothered me, uh, particularly uh, some of the uh, uh, fi- early failed relationships I had. I, I, I'd done some people some harm um, mm-hmm. emotionally and psychologically, and uh, who deserved far better. Um, and so the, the forward of my book picks up a little bit on that. And so I, I wanted to, to make a change in that. And so I wrote, did a lot of writing where I knew it was helping some of the other guys the same, you know, about relationships and the values of them. my first talk literally was about the value of relationships to a pickup convention. of the speakers were, was pickup related. Uh, the two other guys were finance, you know, and then I come up and, you know, yeah, I have a pickup background. And of course I knew a lot of the guys, but then I was espousing relationships and, and, and arguing with the guys, you know, or presenting an alternative view. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it was kind of, it was, it was interesting. So that kind of segued, but then you start looking at my fears of relationships of, um, commitment, uh, particularly marriage, and kind of walking through that and ultimately about being a father. Um, and by rights, I should have missed the boat. Um, I, I ended up having my, 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 my daughter when I was 48. Mm-hmm. And by rights, I should have missed it. And I'm just terribly thankful that uh, the personal progression that I have done through the 21 Convention alone uh, has been remarkable. It's changed my life in the course of it. Mm-hmm. uh, much for the better. And mm-hmm. so I come home every day and I hear my daughter yelling, you know, you know, daddy, daddy, daddy. And I, I get, you know, pick her up. I literally throw her in the air, you know, I still can. And, uh, she's getting big, uh, and just get a big warm hug. And, and you just realize I'm thriving,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
3: and, and, and you know, it. you're, you're in the moment and you go, this, this is you're you're, you're back where you should have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it took me 40 years to get there. And, and that, that's, you know, um, I talked uh, this year at the 21 convention about the nature of uh, comedy and uh, tragedy, and mm-hmm. that tragedy always involves the individual making a fundamental error or an error of belief or understanding that ends tragically. Um, but comedy may have been set up similarly, but the choices change. Um, he, the the individual, the hero uh, perseveres and powers through it, and not, not because they were to get to the other side, but because the middle was a hard area and, and they, they were transformed by that process. And I can definitely say at this point, uh, my, my life has become one of comedy rather than tragedy. And I was clearly on the course of tragedy.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that's and,
3: and I see that within you know the, uh, the manuscript overall is that there's there's huge segues of men who are going their own way, uh, that they're walking away. And, 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 and in all fairness, rightfully so. Uh, that are choosing alternative uh, course of actions that I find utterly tragic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's a you know, and and I'm not talking about the older guy who has a divorce, well late in life, and doesn't you know isn't there isn't that segment of saying I'm going to start over and start a family. You know, it's the, the dice has been cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the young guys, you know, very young guys, 22, 23, that are doing the same thing because of uh, the social confluences. And mm-hmm. you know, for me, it's, it's it's kind of a straightforward process is that. We're not facing external threats. These are man-made. And if they're man-made, they can be mm-hmm, you know, And mm-hmm. uh, I happen to love Neanderthals. I kind of have a little bit of a background in that. And so I talk about human evolution and show a Neanderthal skull compared to a human skull. And Neanderthal skull actually had more brain cavity. Mm-hmm. They had larger brains than we did. And most people don't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I sat down and showed why we were more competitive with a smaller brain and then also the, the frontal cortex, the development of the, the frontal lobe, what the difference on that made. You know, and then it wasn't just the brain size. And I point to the graph on brain size development. It's incredibly sharp mm-hmm. is that we invested in our children. And that made all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. It's not just a meat-eating. It's not just a hunting and gathering. It's not the tools and the obsidian flakes. It's we invested in our children
2: mm-hmm.
3: and the family structure. And that really enabled uh, mankind to thrive uh, well beyond the, this, any, any other species. And it's when we became the dominant species of, of this planet. And I think uh, we have another, you know, case to sit down. So we need to lean into that success.
2: Right. Yeah, we have a we have a an evolutionary moment that we're living through right now, where we are being forced in multiple ways to evolve as a species. And yeah. uh, it's funny as you're talking yeah. about Neanderthals. Just this last year, I read the book uh, "Clan of the Cave Bear" by Gene <laughs> L, you know, which you know from the early '80s. Yeah. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm I'm thinking back to that story about you know the the young Homo sapien girl who who, uh, who ends up with a family of uh, a, a tribe of Neanderthals, Neanderthals and, and how com, and how compelling that story was in so many different ways. You know, cultural. Really. And of course, also it's it's uh, it's message at the time in the early '80s and uh, heralding a new era, and then all the, the notions of psychedelics and plant medicines that was included in there was a book that was very much ahead of its time. So I can relate to what you're saying about
3: it that. It was there were so many different ways they could take it. I think it's a genre that's really underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know personally, when I you know it was interesting. Kind of um, the girlfriend I had at a time was uh, anthrop. Uh, she was studying anthropology, and she mm-hmm. ended up going to GW, uh, and so we. And she actually she she ran the lab. The um, uh, she worked in that natural uh, science facility over at Smithsonian, and so she, she was working on these projects. And you actually get to meet guys like this, and so it was really common to have these guest professors or, or or you know experts come down for a variety of reasons and have everybody go to a local pub and drink and to sit down next to Ian Tattersall, the, the preeminent guy on Neanderthal, and talk shop on stuff that he would never publish because he can't, mm-hmm. uh, because of politics about, you know, what do you think about this? Or, you know, the, the different ideas of concepts of living. And, and so I found that terribly, terribly fascinating to bounce ideas back out and, and, and to kind of not just be a fly in the wall, but kind of be involved in kind of having discussions about that. And it, it was just terribly fascinating. And, uh, I, you know, and also knowing that humans migrated into Neanderthal territory, uh, that mm-hmm. we were the interloper, and so in many cases, we would have had an arch our, our selection case for uh, rapid breeding, and we effectively outbred uh, Neanderthals. We we're a smaller requirement, whereas nutrient debts, you know, because the brain size uh, demanded less caloric load, uh, and plus all these other skill sets that we came and we outcompeted. But I think in many instances, I, and I talk about it too, we weren't just a killer ape. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because Neanderthals were a killer ape as well. I think we humans, as a species, were a murderous ape. Um, that we had the ability to be magnanimous. You know, to develop, You know, like um, Ivan talked about uh, the dark triad. Uh, I think that was very much a human characteristic that I think Neanderthals didn't have that that capacity to plan, manipulate, strategize, uh, and to think that long term in advance. You know, and not just sort of. Uh, engage you physically one-on-one, but to kill you in your sleep, you mm-hmm. know, stab you in the back and the, those sort of elements. And and it's not necessarily a pretty story, uh, but it, 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 you need to, I think, understand who we are, um, that we have that capacity, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in many cases, you know, if we talk biblically, the story of uh, Cain and Abel, mm-hmm. I think that was real. I think that was very much a time in which we had verbal stories and remembrances of living alongside and parallel with other species, you know, of hominids. And that this had survived the the human stories and narratives of, you know, Cain killing Abel. Uh, mm. I, I think that was uh, actually, you know, maybe they weren't literal brothers, but there was enough to recognize that something of ourselves and them and they us. And. We ended up, you know, essentially dominating to the point of their extinction.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, this is also covered in uh, in Stanley Kubrick's 2001, where you have the the ape, you know, picks up the bone and starts, you know, hitting stuff with it. And then what yep. is the first thing that the ape goes and does with the bone? Is it goes and kills another one of the apes? You know, and that's what's yes, powerful right. about that scene is that you know that's our that's our history, but that we've taken that history so far into this remarkable civilization we've built. And of course, in 2001, they've you know they're traveling to to the moon and and beyond in, in that. So you know, these, these are our origins. You talk, we talked about hypergamy right. and hypo, yes. hypogamy. Yep. These are our roots as a species. These are, these are, you know, driving features, but they're not the totality of us. There are so Correct. many layers right. built on Absolutely. top of that. And I yes. think that gets lost yep. in this conversation. You know, hypergamy is, that's in there, but that's the only thing that, that drives a woman to choose the mate that she does. And hypogamy is in men. And it's not the only thing that drives a man. Right. It's one of the factors. It's one of the wheels on the cart, perhaps. And, and it's, it's a calling.
3: Um, a woman's hypergamous nature is a calling to men that we have an obligation to answer. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, that, that demand and, and conversely, hypogamy is a calling to women that they have an obligation to answer, you know, and I, I find that synergy to be, to be, uh, fascinating. It, it brings us back together. Uh, I, I'm very fond of the Adam and Eve story, you know, with the, the apple or the fig and talking about that. And, and I've gone to at length, particularly this last round with, uh, you know, talking about it. Um, but again, you know, the, the kind of the fascinating one I have is that the the, the tree was a, it was a tree of forbidden knowledge. It, mm-hmm. it was self-awareness. It was free will. Uh, uh, the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. And so all these sort of things came together. And self-awareness was really important. And it was the moment in time that we transcended all other animals, you know, that we weren't just part of the beast. We, we, we became unique and separated from them. Uh, and, yes, Eve chose and ate, the, ate from the apple first. And, you know, can you think of a stronger, more independent woman than that? And yet Adam chose her, not just any female, her, mm-hmm. you know, because of that. Uh, and but, at, you know, at likewise, it, it tells me another story, too, that man was willing to go to the lengths to defy God to be with that woman. And that's in a, in a kind of weird way, terribly, terribly romantic.
2: And we forget that. Sure. Yeah, I can. I haven't heard that interpretation before, but you're yeah, right. Yeah, and of course, yeah.
3: all the religious guys at the convention are like, you know, you're getting that story wrong. I'm like, yeah, but I don't, I don't believe what you believe. That's, that's yeah, the nice exactly. thing about exactly. kind of being a pseudo-atheist this is, is that I can look at some of these stories a little bit different than you are. And maybe I hear and see something different than you do, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And, and so it was, it was like Michael Foster and I would really probably disagree about the nature of that story, but got along sure. personally incredibly well. Like, you know, right. one, of, one of my favorite speakers that I met this year and I was really looking forward to meeting him. And so I, I kind of hold that at heart. You know, so that's on the cover of my book. It's, it's kind of the logo for the company I've gotten. And I, I keep that in mind is that we're meant to, for each other. It's original red pill, uh, you know, self-awareness, free will, and the links that we went to be together. That mm-hmm. man was willing to defy God and woman, you know, the woman he choose, chose was truly strong and independent.
2: Right, and and I think uh, I think one of the aspects of that. Well, there's actually two that I I think of very often. The last thing that God created before God rested was woman. That was actually right. the, la- the final God's the final ones. creation. Yeah. And so there there is that aspect, but also there's the aspect that men and women were cast out of paradise together. It was not just that Eve took the apple and God was like, "What are you doing? Get out of here." It was yeah, that, right. it was that Adam committed the act as well it was it was it was they were they were given this fate together and they have to work it out together yeah. and yes. as opposed to working out in opposition uh to each other which is the way things can be going right now as everything is everyone's in opposition to everyone else like no no we're here to work this out together and we have to figure out how to do that it can't just be your way it can't just be my way like we have to find a synthesis um and and that seems to be a very difficult holding two ideas in your head kind of at the, yeah. at the same time, <laughs> which is quite challenging but, to but do. But that's
1: the that's value
3: of some of it. And, you know, a social media, and I saw it fairly recently, they, they showed two lines. One in a zoo, you know, behind bars, and the other was free-range line out yeah, there. Yeah, I saw the too. And, and the one is fed and provide all of the insurances, and the other has all these dangerous freedoms. And uh, I viewed paradise very much like being in the zoo, mm-hmm. is that you, you were a kept, kept creature. And that mankind chose dangerous freedoms, and that makes us unique, and that we did it with free will. Mm. Uh, you know, and so I, I think that there's these little analogies, and I just I, I go looking for these sort of things intentionally, uh, because it's 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 also really important to to do that, because it leaves a residual memory is that if you go looking for trouble trouble rarely disappoints you oh, know and that's for sure and it'll come around um uh, mm-hmm. but if you go looking for the best things in life you know examples of that's a, there's a happy couple you know that uh, you know like for example um um all women are like that it's a, a phrase mm-hmm. hey well um you know are are, are they Right, you know, have you really right. looked, or is it just the women that you surround yourself with, the, the, the cesspool you traffic and and bottom feed in, and and that you know in your world that may be true,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
3: but that's not it's not the totality of of you know womankind. And so I I try to keep that in context. I try to you know when I talk to guys, make sure that they're aware of that. And so you you catch flack for it, but I'm like, okay, I'm I'm more than willing to take those slings, you know, uh, for for that.
2: Well, to, then yeah. you know, to be able to think freely about these things and express freely and to try ideas out. And I, I also don't like the idea that all women are like that. I really don't like that idea. Right. And I think if that's how you, if those are the conceptual lenses that you want to put on to view the world, you will have your conceptual lenses validated for you consci- uh, continuously because like. that's how conceptual lenses work. But if you're willing to take this off and see and see women in a particular way, and women are willing to take off their lenses and see men in a different way, they'll see they're far more complicated. But where the, the detail, where the sticking point is that I noticed, and this is what what I like about your content is that men don't understand themselves is that they're not able to mirror or communicate themselves effectively to women because they don't understand themselves. And that's what I like about your content is you're always leading men understand yourself. So I wonder if you can talk a bit more about that.
3: Yep, yeah, and it goes back to Socrates. You know, mm-hmm. I I didn't originate it. You know, you know about knowing yourself. You know, the Socratic method of ask questions, uh, to go see and observe the world. Don't 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 just make the assumption. Uh, I I was taught um, something interesting when I was in architecture school, and interestingly enough, it was not in architecture sh- uh, school itself. It was outside. I. I I kind of fancied myself a little bit of uh, Indiana Jones. I always wanted to be an adventurer as a kid. So in Arizona when, when I was there, I would go out and find Indian ruins uh, out in the deserts of the Sonora. And not the well-known ones, not the marked ones. And, to, and you could go out there. And if you knew where to look, you could find this stuff. And and some of it's really, really kind of remarkable that people are living in these environments. And you, you start seeing things a little bit differently. Uh, and uh, I can remember sitting essentially on a on a small wall of a a, a ruin, a stack. It was nothing but stacked zone at that point. And you're middle of nowhere. I mean, probably good ten miles from uh, the nearest paved road, and you know, probably twenty miles off of you know any state. You know, you, you were out at sea for all all mm-hmm. intents and purposes. And there was this Indian guy, an old guy. And, um, you keep your distance with people out in the desert. You just mm-hmm. you, you're cordial, you acknowledge, and just keep your damn distance. And so he ended up sitting probably a good hundred yards away. And we just watched the sunset and enjoyed the sunset. Didn't say anything, walked down the hill, you know, independent of each other. And a couple of months later, saw him again, same area and again. And, you know, invariably he kind of sat, we sat kind of closer next to each other. And, um, you know, you can hear the coyotes yipping in the distance, calling to each other and gathering and just different things. And he says, you know, the thing I like about you is that you let the desert speak. Hmm. And, and the thing that I was taught is that when you're quiet enough and still enough and you observe, the desert will speak. And so I try to take that on any of the projects that I do is to tease out the why. What does this project want to be? What, what's the unique values and things that want to be expressed? And I try to do that with, uh, relationships, you know, whether it's my contents for the advice that I try to give guys is that what what's the unique element of their relationships that they're trying to tease out that makes them truly unique and, and to leverage and, you know, amplify that. Uh, and so I think there is that sort of notion of being quiet and looking at something long enough and not going out and seeing the trauma, the things that jump out at you every time, you know, the, the, the and you lose the subtle nature. And so for me, it's helped me see not just the trees, but to see through the forest, uh,
2: per se. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're talking about the qual- quality of insight is the, is the word that comes to yeah. mind, yeah. Well, yep. that's, you know a lot of men, they don't know how to cultivate that in themselves. They don't know how to have insight into the situations of their life. They don't have the ability to see the way that they themselves are generating or contributing to these situations. It's very external blame. And, and of course, there's a lot of that that's placed on men as well, but it's like, what's going on inside my head, inside my life? What are the, the dynamics underneath the surface that are producing these situations that I'm reacting to?
3: Right, and and when I was going kind of through the process of really looking at longer term relations, particularly being an older guy and a, potentially being marriage tracked, um, or or whether you even decide to um one go down that road. I was having a problem with a lot of the stuff with feminism and how much feminism has been ingrained in society and women in nature. And the the problem, though, is that when you become aware of it, it's hard to see an injustice and not be emotionally moved by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is that when you start diving into it more and more and more, you're exposing yourself to this. And even though it may be right, it's not necessarily good for you. Mm-hmm. uh and it does taint the way you see things and it it got to i don't necessarily say it was a a, a super bad point i never got really angry or violent or any, any of those kind of connotations that usually men in the mass are, are labeled with but it became very hard not to see every injustice when it was delivered mm-hmm. uh and you had to at a certain point say i can choose to see this and respond or i can choose to be happy and start looking for other things and what i end up realizing is that I wasn't seeing the virtuous woman. I wasn't seeing these other women that were there. I just couldn't see them. I saw the trees. And so I, I started wanting to condition myself. So in, in this is going to sound antithetical to game, is that I'd go out with these guys still at that time going out. I, I had kind of a rat pack of, of guys that we'd come and normally go out with. And... Uh, I would intentionally try not to find a woman, try not to game a woman, that I would actively engage in not trying to uh, and trying to find the one woman who was virtuous in the evening that mm-hmm. I would not have normally seen or not normally have engaged and to respond the, to the values that I valued. That if, um, if feminists were doing their, their kind of thing, even in a gentle way, a passive feminist, uh, you don't feed into it. You don't, you don't provide them attention. Uh, but then to provide the women that you did appreciate attention. Now, unfortunately, you end up going home alone a lot. R, uh, but yeah. you had to get comfortable with that. Yeah. Uh, but that wasn't my goal. So that that wasn't a problem. Uh, and so what you end up doing is you end up pursuing – things that uh, reflected the values you have, uh, in many cases, uh, broke the rules I would have established for, you know, so I ended up, you know, essentially with a single mother with two stepsons, right? And that would have been an absolute no-go territory mm-hmm. uh, previously, you know, and, and, and for cause and for good reason, uh, particularly when I was younger. Uh, and, and that may have been wise at that time, but at, at a certain point when I was 48, looking at it and going, if a woman's 48 and never married, there's probably something wrong you know mm-hmm. very much like why am i 48 and not married what 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 didn't i get right and mm-hmm. so you know you you have to kind of evaluate where you, where are you at on your life trajectory you reevaluate a lot of those things and the self-introspection but i was amazed at how the that transformation of of going to look for the things that you value
2: mm-hmm.
3: and only feed the things that you value mm-hmm. how that changed my life how, how it changed my life and it was it was a small step but a critical one
2: That's very important. And just, I need to draw a distinction between the different kinds of feminism we're talking about. So the way that feminism is typically used in the cultural vernacular of America in general is talking about this movement that seeks uh, legal and economic equality for women. But what feminism has actually become, and there isn't actually a word for this, but this is what's kind of understood in the conversations that, that we are having. This idea of feminism has become men and women are equal in all ways, but women are better. That's right. that's the feminism that we're talking about. So obviously there's no one in, in this conversation, probably no one listening that thinks women shouldn't have legal and economic and social equality. But this idea that that men and women are equal in all ways, but women are better, it's a very subtle and insidious idea that's right. f- that's yep. woven its way through so many mm-hmm. different ways that, that doesn't that can't actually be called out by name. So I just need to highlight that point.
3: Well, and I thought it was interesting too, if it was truly about equality. Why all the revolutionary language, why all the revolutionary violence uh, imagery, you know, the, 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 the fist, you know, the uh, we're going to destroy the patriarchy, you know, and those sort of things. Um, why the Marxist terminology is about mm-hmm. equality, you know, and so, I, you know, I, I, it's been politicized uh, to a very powerful degree. And, and I think there's a lot of underpinnings there and it's been sold. Uh, particularly to do just that, uh, and I think some guys have talked about that. Uh, but for the most part, I think a lot of women have, you know, swallowed the marketing branding without looking at it and going, "If if it's truly about equality, why why won't you listen to men? Why mm-hmm. can't you hear young men or boys? And why are we not celebrating young men, boys, fathers? You know, uh, you know, wh- why why is that unequal now? All of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. that you can't do that. And so there's there's a lot of you know, e- emotional value context that gets lost, and it doesn't take long for an empathetic woman to realize, like, oh yeah, you're right. And 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 the issue is, I'm not going to change your mind here, but you know, now, uh, but think about it. Is, is feminism really about equality when it stands for all these other things? You know, when has it you know advocated for men's health or men's rights or you know, um, you know, taken the interest of the child? over
2: you know any parent not just uh, the mother mm-hmm. yeah. and that's why that that's this is why the renaissance of men this is why i'm so proud to be part of the 21 convention is because these uh, these events and and the speakers like yourself are are trying to help men guide them back to the best parts of themselves independent right. independent of what culture says and that's actually quite controversial like let's make men better let's help men de, de, uh, take themselves back to the best versions of themselves i've got the, the book the way of men by jack donovan sitting next to me you know that book is really clear about about here's how the men here's how men philosophically become the best versions of themselves and that actually becomes quite controversial that that men can actually do that and that's the part that i find un- incomprehensible how could it be controversial that we're we're trying to become better isn't this what's wanted so I, that's what i love about being part of this community is ultimately about masculine self-development in very very positive ways
3: yeah, and, and none of the, the typical historical patterns either. Uh, you know, a year mm-hmm. and a half ago, I gave a, a, a part of a presentation where I talked about, you know, if we are to – worry about our legacy and our development our children um one of the the most egregious things we could do is hit our children mm-hmm. you know that that it, it hits a developing mind at the most uh, critical time period when it's developing and particularly infants and and so i'm telling that to a group of men and they're hearing it and uh some of it was received while other others of it wasn't you know that hey corporal punishment is how you instill discipline well you know the question is is uh, am am I allowed to do it with my employees? Is my boss allowed to do it with me? Can can I hit my wife for the same reason? Can she hit me for similar reasons? Mm-hmm. And the answer is always no. So why why do we do it to the most defensive? Mm-hmm. You know, we just don't have better coping skills now. You know, and then the, then the, you bring up the real ugly question. It's like who really hits children? Mm-hmm. Who hits infants? Mothers mm-hmm.
2: do. Mothers. Mm, okay.
3: You know, and predominantly Mm -hmm. a mother who's stressed, overwhelmed, overtaxed, you know, and doesn't have the coping mechanism. So if I'm going to be concerned about that legacy component, how do I interrupt that violence chain Mm -hmm. Uh, and how do I get in between and separate the mother and child prior to that even taking place? So I sat down and realized that changing my child's diaper was that critical moment when mom's completely overwhelmed. I'm going to jump in. And the, the easiest, simplest thing I could do was to change my t- child's diaper and to do it effectively. And so I talked about, you know, not just changing the diaper, but you know, you're treating a patient, not not a, not a the diaper. And then I went into the story about my, my diaper bag is kind of a, a, a play on a, a medical uh, combat bag, you know, and, and I had that and I talked about it and, you know, and then sat down and said, okay, now you, you've you taken care of the child, but you have another casualty, you know, it's a mother and child and you have to take care of the mother. And it, it's one of those things where you're not doing it because of a sexual. You're doing it because I'm an effective partner. Mm-hmm. And this matters in my household. And this is how I'm going to do it. And God damn it, I'm going to change my child's diaper and nobody's going to do it better. Mm-hmm. And this is not a diminishment of me. It's, it's a point of pride. And so, you know, a lot of the guys had never heard of anything like that. And to the point that a lot of these guys like, man, I miss I wasn't that guy and I wish I was, you know, uh, this year alone, uh, one of the guys who had come had brought his brother specifically to talk to me about that, not knowing if I was going to even speak about it. And so I had Mary Francis literally come over and uh, take my bag from the house and bring it down. And I just literally ran him through it and say, hey, this is this is what I've gotten how and talk about the different things about doing that. Uh, And so um, even then, I I talked about uh, Jack Don because he had spoke that year. Uh, and use his his elements of masculinity, you know, uh, strength, courage, honor, you know, and I am pulling a blank on the mastery. Floor mastery. Thing, mastery. Mastery, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, competency. Is is applying that to diaper changing you know, argument. <laughs> awesome. You know, and and Jack's laughing his ass off because I can see him in the back, right? He's laughing his ass off. You know, and to sit down and say, I'm gonna do this, you know, he gave a a workshop where he sat down and said, what if you created a business with those, those, those as values? Mm-hmm how would you run your business? What would that business look like? And and that was an amazing hour, those guys really talking about, hey, how do we, what would that really look like? And it's not uncommon to take that and to all of a sudden within the patriarch group, what I really love about that, that that convention itself is that a lot of these guys now know each other because they've come multiple times. They're already part of a a community or a fraternity of men that are really committed to doing this, and they come to an event where they can be around and surround each other, and they found their tribe.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And there's a strength there that even though we had a convention right next door for 21 Convention, which is kind of the the, the big one that we have, the flagship of it all, there's more camaraderie and connection at the paternity event, you know, the, the the patriarch event, than there is at the 21 where it's a bunch of individual guys showing up trying to better themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no unifying element as, as strongly as, as a patriarch convention.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I, I find that uh, terribly powerful. And I think it's going to be the wave of the future.
2: Oh, I think I think it has to be. I, I think yeah. if uh, if in years prior to this one, you know 2019 and previously, I think it was actually okay to talk about things. I mean, it's probably still fine to talk about whatever, but um, you know more interesting to talk about things like pickup and and uh, social dynamics. But I think for for the way the world has turned this past year talking about fatherhood, effective fatherhood, happy, fulfilling fatherhood, is I'm not a father. I'm not even in a relationship right now. But that's just a fascinating topic for me. It's something that fully engages me because I've also realized what did I not get in my upbringing? Where were where were my fathers? I love my father. Where were his his upbringing? His upbringing deficiencies. His parenting deficiencies. How can I <laughs> remedy that for the generations? How can I you know I've been very fortunate to go on my own transformative journey, and then how does that translate into me being a father? And so this subject consumes my thoughts, and 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 I, I think many men are going the same direction. I think they're probably discovering that pickup and random hookups is unfulfilling ultimately. Where does it all lead to? Hey, everyone. Sorry to interrupt the conversation for a moment. I just wanted to make a quick announcement. Twitter locked down my original Renaissance of Men account a couple weeks ago without any explanation, as they do. So I was forced to start a new account. You can find me at Will underscore Ren of Men. I haven't been on Twitter for about 10 years and it's changed quite a bit and I'm enjoying my time there very much. So if you happen to be on that social media network, be sure to add me will underscore Ren of men. You can find me also on Instagram at Ren of men. And as always, please be sure to visit our website, Renofmen.com. You can submit your name to our email list and be notified for all the very exciting news that will be coming up very soon. And one last request, if you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment, leaving us a rating and review, that would sure make a difference. Thanks so much. And now let's get back to the conversation with Socrates. You know, when you, right. talk, you talked about comedy versus tragedy. And how uh, a tragedy is when someone fails to complete a developmental task. And then comedy is when is when someone succeeds in completing a developmental task. It's essentially the hero's journey. So right, right. We, we Completely,
3: absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I, I have seen my own, my own mm-hmm. hero's journey. And, and I know it. And I am terribly inspired by other men who are doing the same thing that are starting uh, their process. Uh, we've had guys that have come up uh, terribly overweight, um, terribly socially inept and sat down and said, okay, I came because, um, you know, in many cases, they were saying I was contemplating suicide. And that, mm-hmm. that's a harsh one, you know, mm-hmm. where you have a guy t- saying he was a week ago, I had a pistol in my mouth, you know. Mm. Um, and he goes, and he goes, what, what am I going to lose? I pull the trigger, I'll never know. Mm. And he essentially took the majority of whatever resources had, uh, was able to, to, to work and scrape it together and got a ticket and showed, uh, and then realized, okay, it's not enough just to show once. I'm going to commit to coming again uh, the following year, and I'm going to make statements, and I want you to hold me accountable. It's between that convention and the next, and sure as shit, he shows up and he's a different guy. Wow! You Wait, know that happened? you see these progr- you see these progressions, you know, and in his case, he lost seventy pounds. Wow! You know, and and had gone through. Um, <sighs> A really heinous divorce, mm-hmm. um, incredibly, incredibly bad. Uh, and 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 by incredibly bad divorce, I mean uh, the wife is pregnant. She tells him it's not his, but we're we're going to raise them. Oh my God. And he realizes, um, no, no, we're not. Mm-hmm. You've made your decision. I'm I'm taking the children. Um, and we're going to separate. And so he had to be a much bigger and stronger man for his children and his family than he did for himself. And so he knew he had to go on an immediate kind of hero's journey, regardless of uh, where he was at. And, you know, for a guy who was going to literally kill himself, you know, the, the week prior to going to the convention and seeing this guy, even now, uh, you, you would you would have no clue. And to you know, see these guys who. I uh, had concerns, you know, getting married, seeing them in healthy, honest relationships. And it's almost like seeing puppies play together. You know they're well adjusted when they're playful and and in coupling. You know, there's nothing more. Um, becoming then when a couple is coupling, you know, that, that, that canoodling and that kind of, you just, you know, this is how it's supposed to be. This this is the essence of being a human mammal. Uh, and you can see that in their relationships. You can see it in the photos. and It comes out in the life they're living. And to see that success again and again and again, I find truly remarkable. I know other guys will focus only on the number of guys they save from suicide, and I don't want to diminish that. But we need to move men well beyond saving themselves from suicide back to human thriving. And And I think that is a very, very hard, long journey. Uh, There's nothing simple about uh, Mm self-reconstruction, that it is a massive process, but probably uh, one of the most important things you'll ever do.
2: I love this term, self-reconstruction. That's really what it is. And and I think... um, as I as I explore, as I went to the Patriarchs event at Twenty One Convention, and I, and I talked to some of the men, I really wasn't aware just how serious um, divorce had hit some of these men—not simply financially, but also emotionally. The way the place that it leaves them in, not only the experience of losing a partner and that whole story, but then also the legal system and the financial impact, and just the devastating toll that it takes on men. And I have I earned a real appreciation for. How much strength it takes for men to come back from that, to want to yep. come back from that. Yeah, you know I think of uh, I think of Sean Whalen as another man who's sort of parallel to this community, and he talks about something very similar, how he had a pistol in his mouth after his di- divorce. and uh, I don't I don't know personally these men, but maybe you can speak to some of these challenges they face.
3: I, I honestly, I I can't talk about divorce. Uh, what because I, 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 I haven't gone through it myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I haven't even had the courage to get married to the partner I do have because of my concerns about uh, um, sure. marriage and the government and the involvement and uh, just my own personal um, inner dynamics. But it, there's no doubt that I'm committed to the mother of my child, mm-hmm. my sure. partner. It's 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 in it's marriage and name and government control a uh, separate aside. Uh, but I I think that I'm struck not only by the stats of men taking their lives, but the disproportionate level compared to women, uh, is that it's telling. and when you really kind of get to it, is it's striking more than just the psyche of providing? It's the essence of masculinity. It's mm-hmm. an utter failure of self um, that you failed yourself. You failed everyone in the relationships. It's not just the relationship. It's every, you failed the connection between you and your partner, you and each and every child. And it it's, it's cascades from there. Uh, and we're meant to, in many cases, take on that responsibility. I know that a lot of the guys uh, in the last two years have been talking about um, extreme ownership or extreme agency. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's something to that. But I think that a lot of times guys take on more agency than what's theirs. Mm-hmm. They, that, that isn't theirs. I'm, I'm, this is going to sound horrible. I'm, I don't have an answer as to why. Guys actually don't kill themselves in those situations. Mm-hmm. I, I I empathetically try to think that if I lost everything, could I naturally just sort of say, yeah, I I wouldn't end it all. Uh, and I think there's a compelling reason to do that. That's the last measure of control that you know you choose the manner of your life and exit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I, and it t- to tell people there's a terribly long journey ahead of you mm-hmm. of transformation uh, is a incredibly tough sell. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it, it's one that needs to happen, you know. Uh, I think uh, because I don't—it's terribly a selfish thing, uh, you know, c- romantic and everything else. I I hate tragedies, you know. Um, the the Greeks, the the the, the, the plays of Dionysia, the, the Dionysian uh, festivals—they would have playwrights compete to do four four plays, three of which were tragedies because um, they were these the hallmarks of the lessons of life and, and the comedy was reserved for the last and it was most sacred because it taught the Greeks how to live life. So you have three lessons for life and how to live life. And that was how Greek culture was trans uh, transferred from one generation to another into the public square and how they educated and morally instructed uh, their, their civic body was through these plays. And so, I think divorce in itself is a tragic outcome of a relationship structure. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to end there. That you can make comedy. You can go through these series of events and transform into something new and better uh, by going through that process. And and to reconstitute yourself, in a sense, through that process, not, you know, not... Because of it rather than in spite of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that becomes a much more powerful narrative of self identity than one of, I'm divorced,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, and I, I wrecked my life or I failed. Um, you know, and I think there's a number of ways that we can do that. Um, and I'm always impressed by the men who choose to do that, mm-hmm. uh, particularly coming from. Uh, such devastation. Uh, mm-hmm. My my personal failures uh, were never that extreme.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and, you know, I thank God for that. Um, you know, I, it still could happen. You know, I, I could I could lose it all tonight. Of course, um, we all could. Yeah. yeah, and and that's kind of a, a scary thing too. Uh, a year, a little over a year ago, we actually had a guy uh, who'd come to the convention and within two weeks uh, lost his wife and and got seriously injured in a head-on accident. Oh my God! You know, and. Um, you know, s- Stark, you know, and how, how do you, how do you tell this guy there's still life ahead, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that, that life goes on. I forget the uh, philosopher, I, it, was, it was a Vol- Voltaire that said life goes on or this, this too, this too will change or this something to that effect.
2: This too shall pass. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that this Voltaire. too shall pass. Yeah, yeah exactly.
3: That, that. Yeah. And, and so there's something to that, but nobody wants to hear that, that I just lost the love of my life. And there was no doubt he was completely in love with his wife. Right. You know, and and I said, you know, I can't be there for you other than what you allow and permit. You have two children that just lost their mother. Mm-hmm. They desperately need the father. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not doing this for you. You're doing it for them. You know, and so, so to see him move through, but it's, he's still living it. Uh, the individual who killed his wife, uh, you know, the guy was doing 100 miles an hour on a, a shitty road, oh you know, and essentially will get a misdemeanor, mm-hmm. serve no time, you know, and uh, I don't have an answer for that. That's terribly unjust. And that's mm-hmm. tragic in, in in a very literal way. Um, I just hope that he's able to make comedy out of it, that there's a family dinner. Uh, his wife is buried on their property, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in scenic. And, and I know that he's striving to do that. And so I find that inspirational. And I, I hope other men can find something similar. Um, uh, that We had another individual whose son uh, ended up killing himself shortly thereafter, after a convention. And mm-hmm. Um, he, he had a number of guys, I wish I was closer to him than I was, but, you know, you do reach out and, and you, 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 do think about these individuals from time to time, you know, and, um, they, they serve as touchstones to sit down and, and say, even though I may be writing in the middle of the night or, you know, in a dark room and it's just a illumination of my laptop, um, you, you're writing about two and four real people. hmm and to try to find that North Star, of, hey, we're meant for each other. This too shall pass. And um, to make comedy out of your life and to, to not just experience the joys, uh, but to embrace the sorrows as well so that your joys are truly richer uh, for having, having achieved those. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to look for those, to seek those things out. Because if you don't, life, life will suck you down. And whether you take your own life or you allow circumstances to overwhelm you, you know, one, one's a quick exit and the other's a slow, miserable existence.
2: Well, I, think, I think a lot about this subject, about uh, the nature of meaning which I think is what you're talking about, is is this ability for um, sort of bad, bad or even catastrophic things to happen to us and for us to find the ability to make meaning out of it. And that's what ultimately makes the difference between a, a tragedy and a comedy is a comedy comes all the way around and we're able to find meaning in it. And that's the essence, for me, that's the essence of faith is the, ability, is the strength of heart or soul or even in some, some degree like that and probably the whole self to say, whatever this thing is, as as bad as it is, as unimaginably catastrophic and painful and difficult as it is, I will see it through until I'm able to make meaning out of it. And I won't know what that meaning is. I mean, you know, I will know someday what that meaning is, but I can't know now, but I will stick right, with it right. and create meaning out of it.
3: And that's well, the, the other is, uh, you hear these guys talk and, you know, you hear them say that the the worst moment in their life, it does occur, mm-hmm. but it lasts a moment. The, the moment preceding it was just marginally, better. The moment after was marginally better. And sometimes it goes a little bit deeper, but they, they were conscious in many cases of that moment and that they were feeling that moment, knowing from here, things have only one way to go. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: You know, eventually that, that things will rise, that it does not last, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and in many cases, I think in ways they were not willing to let go you know, of what they had of that reality. And they were fighting and struggling that of acceptance. And, and I can't blame them. I cannot blame them. Um, You know, I, I, my biggest fear is not necessarily losing my own life or, or failures that I, I lose my daughter, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I don't, I, you know, you, you just said, what what would I do with myself if I lost her, Mm -hmm. you know, for having, you know, not been in a situation where I was absolutely lucky to have her. Um, and probably to the point where it was a risk to have even, even had that or curb it, uh, to have that, to find the joy and that serenity and th- human thriving and then to lose that, uh, that, that's, that's, that's a real fear,
1: mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know,
3: but I, 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 try not to be consumed by that.
1: No, you, know, and you just,
3: be. you lean into it.
2: You lean into it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the, you that's, know, that. That's the that's that that's the memento mori. That's the, you know that's uh yes that's Marcus yes. Aurelius. That's the, remember that you know death is a part of is a part of life, yes. and that's something that yep. Buddha talks about as well. In your greatest in your greatest moment of happiness, reflect on death, and in your greatest moment of sorrow, reflect on death. You know that's that was his teaching, and there's some real wisdom in that about how to see about how to see life and to always appreciate it for what it is. That the best things that the best things have a wonderful context around them that they end, which gives them a beauty, and that the worst things also have a context and that they end as well, and in their own particular way and that's not to take away from the seriousness of anything that could happen but to recognize that this is an aspect of life that's all far too easily overlooked and that we lose some of the the savoring of life when we lose sense of that
3: yeah absolutely you know and i, I kind of came to peace with some of it and i or at least i ease my conscience to sit down and not fear her death or my losing her right right uh, but to embrace that possibility but to cherish the fact that she exists
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, that I had her for this period and you're, you're cheating the fates having done so. Mm-hmm. And and that there's something to be said about that. That in all the tragedy that surrounds life, is that you've created life unto itself and found joy out of the out of this. You know, essentially a dark world, and it can be a very dark world. Of course. Uh, but that's what brings the light of the human spirit. Is you have to then sit down and say, let's see that. Let's concentrate on that. Let's let's reward and and put energy and focus into that. You know, mm-hmm. because that that's
2: where, where momentum will follow. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you're bringing? Uh some of this light, some of this light that you're very, uh, that you seem very blessed to have brought into yourself. Do you see yourself as bringing this light to other men? I, you know, this is going to sound horrible. Um, (laughs) I, I try not to think about it
3: that way. I know it, I know it happens. Um, I, I'm not consciously doing it to, to do that. Um, and I, I am, I'm, I guess I'm conscious of the times that people see you and, are inspired by it. And, 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 it's, 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 it's humbling. Um, it's, it's a, it, it's an emotional load, I guess that, that there's, there's a burden there. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you feel like you have to be kind of on, and it's going to sound really kind of crazy too, is that I, by nature, I'm an introvert. You know, that learned extrovert behavior. So I go to these events and, and I have to be Socrates, you know, and and, mm-hmm. and I do enjoy it, right? But I'll, I'll be honest, afterwards I'm exhausted, you know, and, and just because it takes everything out of you where a real extrovert would still be thriving. Uh, I, I know it's a tremendous amount of responsibility and I do know uh, that my example has helped me. Mm-hmm. And I continue to put myself out there uh, to do just that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, not just myself, but my life, uh, what I do, my home. Uh, you know, all warts and all, you know, and, and not to pose that as perfect, you know, and, and you know, we, you know, I, I have no problems discussing my personal failings, you know, and, and, and looking at it and uh, I don't have all the answers, you know, in particular, uh, I don't pretend to. Um, and if I can help guys on their part for a piece of it, fantastic. Uh, I will have done remittance for the pain I've caused others um, and that that's that is important to me because um, I wasn't always the man that I was now
1: mm-hmm. and uh,
3: that 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 haunts me um, I knew better didn't necessarily have the skills or the confidence and I can I can put put a lot of um, I can hang in a lot of positions but the, the bottom line is I did it I own it and there's no way to change that other than to sit down and say I was disturbed by the fact that I did Um and it changed me mm-hmm. for the for the better that I, I yeah. it, it was tra- the things that I did with other people were tragic um, but I didn't allow it to be a tragedy
1: mm-hmm.
3: And so you know I you know it one of my fears is that I come across one of the, one or two of these individuals again um, and I, I don't know what I would honestly say to them other than I'm sorry and here's here's what I've done
2: I think. Um, but, if- oh i think it's i think it's beautiful how you were saying how much you value comedy and you've actually made your life a comedy in the ways that in in the ways that you were saying about you've learned from the things that you've done you've transformed as a man and now you're passing this forward in the ways that you can you can't undo the past obviously none of us can you can try to make good on it and, and make something good out of it. And so you're the living example of the comedies that you seek to value in the same way that you're a living example of Socrates and having this Socratic dialogue, <laughs> you're embodying yes. all these things that you're embodying your values in a very powerful way.
3: Yeah, I and mean, I do try, and
2: and to sit down and say it's kind of it's it's
3: easy to wear another man's clothes, mm-hmm. you know, and and essentially I, I I chose well and had no idea, you know, and 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 you know if you, you sit down and say if you're believing in the fates at that, that moment at that bar, you know it was it was kind of a bit of fate, you know that that it kind of goes all the way back to that that point in time, uh, and at least the, the seeds the seeds of that uh, came from that era. Uh, wow. and, and I, I, t- I take pride of it. A lot of people don't know that story. I, I haven't told that story in a long while, but that, that was, it was, uh, uh very true. And, but I have tried to go well beyond the pickup nature of that, uh, and truly kind of embrace it.
2: Well, you've made it, I mean, it's from just a, an offhanded comment. You've made it uh, a part of your identity. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's the magic. That and, and, and
3: it's, it's something I, cause I, it's going to sound too, is that you have to understand your, your dark nature. You know that exists. It's it's not that I'm I'm necessarily a peaceful man. It's it's a man who's capable of of extreme violence that chooses not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has power, uh, and and so I know we talk about you know those sort of things in violence terms. But if you sit down and say, I'm I'm a kind man. Uh, you know, a humbling man. Uh, those sort of you know Socratic elements of, of what does it mean to uh, be an individual like Socrates, the, the real Socrates, um, that. You, you have to understand some of the darker natures of yourself. If you're going to sit down and say, I, I need to be better. Uh, how do I do this? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not that smart of a guy uh, to kind of come up with this on my own, mm-hmm. but damn it. I I can follow uh, an exemplar and follow and imitate his steps and be a better man for that. And mm-hmm. if, if anybody hears any of this and says, you know, you, you can do it too. And this, this isn't faking it till you make it. You, you have to wear it, you know? Mm-hmm. and, uh, there's rewards for for doing so. You know, you don't it do, you don't have to become that person, but I I think you can honestly grow by wearing that.
2: Mm-hmm. You have to grow you know, into the cloak. The you have to grow into the cloak.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and, they- and very much like a a young man grows into his father's shoes,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, um, and to grow beyond. And and I think every father wants their children to out exceed themselves and. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in similar ways, and so I it, it would be kind of interesting to to think that um, I would have a measure of impact or my my dent in the universe in our uh, I don't know if your audience knows. I'm a licensed architect by trade, mm-hmm. and you know I can point to you know any of the design awards I've won or some of the buildings, and you know it's just uh, there's some some neat stuff that I've done, uh, some really large civic stuff that I've done, uh, but ultimately I design hollow shells for people and. Mm-hmm. It's 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 never as rewarding as seeing the changes that I've made in other men, by example, or association Mm -hmm. or community, Um, you know, and I don't mean just me, but the the fact that I was involved in some measure manner Um, and I I feel far more enriched and proud of those transformations than I will of any piece of architecture I've ever created. You know, because you're designing for people. And I think that's one of the most important things we'll ever do. One of the most important projects we'll ever undertake. And I, I spoke about this this year
2: is to make better people. I agree completely. That's the point of all of it.
3: Yeah. And, and there, there's no better start than to start with yourself. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, and it's, you know, I, I am a a work in progress. I, I probably will be a work in progress my entire life and I'm I'm okay with that.
2: Well, me too. And I'm gonna offer you a high five through the webcam right now because I know exactly I know exactly that feeling. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Where can Go ahead, sorry.
3: I, to be honest, let's, let's talk about just You You said yeah. you and I had a private conversation at my house. We were talking about it and you had gone through a massive transformation that mm-hmm. I, you'd said something that and it's it was a, one of those pieces you hear and it slipped in. You know, I, I I talk about my own personal weight gain and everything else and it's something I continue to struggle with. Mm-hmm. And then I realize I have to transform my life and I haven't been successful doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can focus on nutrition, exercise, self-care. But this notion that you said that you had to not, not will yourself, but accept yourself to transform into the person you become Mm -hmm. is that it's, it's not just a mental thing. It's a self identity. And, that I think is interestingly enough probably one of the biggest stopping points that I personally have. And so that I'm looking to say, okay, as I recommit to to a lot of this health issues, that I need to look at that and to understand that, yeah, I used to be hyper thin uh and and beat up and had a lot of issues because I was so tall and thin. Um and so getting larger came a tremendous amount of power. I could mm. throw that weight around. Mm. Um and then you kind of self-sacrifice in a number of ways, and I was cultured and conditioned for doing that um, that I'm not respecting myself. I'm not honoring myself, uh, you know, my, my responsibilities and everything else when I don't do these things mm-hmm. and that I have to essentially get over myself to see myself through that process and no amount of, you know, dieting, exercising, or, you know, any other components, you know, or, or hormonal optimization will be the golden ticket until I accept who I transform. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've talked about, um, Women will sabotage relationships they're in if they don't feel like they're good enough for the man that they they're with. No matter how well you treat them, they'll self sabotage, and, and guys do the same thing. And I think there's a degree of self sabotage with myself, and my weight gain mm-hmm. associated with that, because I just will not move to put that my that part of myself first in light of all these other things. So mm-hmm. that was something you gave me that resonated with me, and I think is one of the things that. I wouldn't have heard had we not had the chance to sit side by side and talk
2: mm-hmm.
3: and you don't get that on stage. No, no. Uh, so I, I would like to extend, at least extend that and to honestly be vulnerable and open and acknowledge that. So thank I, you. Uh, thank you.
2: I, I appreciate that. And I, and I relate very much to your story is that, I, you know, for those who are listening, I, I lost 40 pounds between February and August and I've, I've kept it off as well. So during the lockdown period, and it's funny, I, I relate very much to, to your story because, I realized that um, I put on all that weight to create um, a sense of power in myself as well, and a sense of and a sense of safety. And what I, the thing was is, it was this kind of inverted energy where I created this false sense of safety. It was because as soon as I lost all the weight, I found such a much stronger sense of safety. It was kind of flipped inside that I'd I'd put on this weight, I'd gotten heavy and I'm I'm safe like this. And when I started losing weight, I started feeling very, very vulnerable. But as I got all the way down and I finally got the job completed, I I discovered a sense of power and safe and and even a, a greater safety and comfort in my own body, far beyond what I could have ever achieved you know, through food or through putting on weight. So the desire, Mm -hmm. so as you say that, the desire is fundamentally good and fundamentally positive to be safe or to be powerful or however it phrases, it's just backwards.
3: Yeah. And it was, it was interesting because I, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll dip down to a particular weight level and I just found myself being very uncomfortable with a thinner me Mm
2: -hmm.
3: and it sounds so obscene. And, and you try to talk to, uh, you know, like these weight training or, or weight loss coaches and who have always been thin, they don't, they don't understand. They haven't been there. Uh, and it's, it's interesting talking to guys who have been, who have either come out or who self-identify. And, and I think there really is something to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, it, it was interesting that you, when you brought that up, it just completely resonated on a complete level. It's like, oh yeah, you know, that here, here all of a sudden I, I see a much thinner self and all, all those old insecurities came back.
2: mm -hmm. I understand. You know,
3: and it sounds really obscene that you know I would be thinner, healthier, and everything else, but my self-image wasn't prepared, or I wasn't willing to see myself and accept myself to be, you know, and just it's crazy, Mm, you know. So the mind
2: it's the mind yeah yeah, absolutely well the mind is ultimately it's trying to protect us but it's just doing this backward kind of way you know it's trying to get us the the shortest distance to the thing that it thinks will keep us safe because that's what it's wired to do at a very primal level and and it's kind of like a you know if you can we can split our minds into the little boy version and the adult version little boy is doing all these things kind of instinctively that's keeping him that's supposed to keep him safe but as an adult like that doesn't work and so the adult mind has to go into the child mind and talk to the child say no, we have to do something else and even though it's going to be unfamiliar and your self-image is going to have to change you know there's no magic bullet to do it you're going to have to stay with that little boy throughout the process and it does get easier you know the, the process of being really um i guess alienated from oneself in a way like what has happened to me what's happening to my right. body it's changing yep. it's like just mm-hmm. staying with that inner presence can be very very difficult because men don't have that ability in many cases to stay to be to be with themselves you know, and what's going on inside them. And that's such a vital process of weight loss. There's no silver bullet to it, I think, for for many men. I think it's a multi-layered kind of thing that all has to be addressed in terms of our choices and the way that we look at food. And the way we look at it for me, it was about my social relationships as well. Um, So the lockdown, of course, helped with that. But for me, it was very much having to get comfortable, like my entire identity is going to change in a way if I do this and I'm going to stick with it until it's done. I'm going to cross that
3: gap. Well, and in you also and and I, I'm self, you know, giving myself advice as I speak this, sure, you, you yeah. have to be comfortable with who you're going to become. That's right. That's
2: you, right. Know?
3: and so you know these guys who have lost their 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 wives or children and and have to trans are forced to transcend that against their will. Mm-hmm. i I don't have to. I have to will myself to transform.
2: You're not well. I would say that it's possible at some point that life will come along and and force you into a situation where you actually have to do it in the ways that you're talking about. Where you, well,
3: it's it's either that or die. And and honestly, I I think that in many cases, guys just get to the point that they do give up. Mm -hmm. Uh, That because of the health afflictions and everything else, the aches, the sores, the pains, and you know, just that loss of self in so many ways that you you know you don't recognize yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, That death is kind of a, a welcome. Occurrence, You mm-hmm. know, I, I would not be surprised by that. Um, I know that one of the uh, reoccurring nightmares that I, I personally have is, um, you, well, you've been in my house where the, the front doors are primarily glass. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and and I, I would not do that again. I would not I would advise against that. Right. But, uh, one of the dreams I have is in the middle of the night, um, I hear something and I get up and I go to the door and it's my younger self on the outside. Wow. And you, you answer the door and you're having to explain yourself or justify or qualify yourself to your younger self and um in various states either that that younger self either identifies or doesn't or understands or doesn't but i'm i'm it's it's the 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 subconscious mind's telling you a lot of things and i I find that a lot of times if you allow the mind to speak almost like the desert Mm -hmm. let the mind speak uh it will tell you things
2: Mm mm-hmm yeah, I actually have a, I, I used to do dream interpretation and uh, so that was something that I really enjoyed doing for myself and others. And that's a very, um, that's a very powerful dream that you're having. Can I, can I ask if you don't mind yeah, yeah, um, when you, how do you feel when you wake up from that dream? That's just the first question. Uh, the ask. first
3: time I was uh, mortified, I, I, I was scared wow. shitless. Uh, yeah. My heart was racing. I was sweating, uh, physically shaking. Uh, I physically got up, uh, went to the door, uh, didn't see myself. Literally went walking up and around the property at four in the morning, uh, you know, and and that that level of disturbed, mm-hmm. um, and ended up sitting in the essentially I say the dark, you know, that my the house is relatively relatively well illuminated with night stars and everything, so I could see clearly in the house, but essentially sat in the stillness of the house, and just it existed, just calm down, uh, let the house speak, let your mind just sort of calm down and, and, and kind of revisit that. Um, you know, one of the things I'll, I'll do too, is I, I will have conversations with the dead. I'll, I'll talk to my dead grandparents and stuff like that. And I realized that I was talking to my former self, you know, Mm -hmm. and that, that's something needed to be said. Other times, um, I will have had the same dream, Mm Mm-hmm. And brought the younger self in, and just we sat in the living room or, uh, against each other, and and smiled, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and sincerely. And so it's not always um, something to tear. But the first one was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then, it, it varies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. And so I, I think in, and I think it, it it coincides with my self progression as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't had a fearful one in a very 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 long time, and I think there's a reason for that. And it's very much in who who i've currently become not physically but just uh, right. emotionally and spiritually and um you know the ideas and the morals and values and ethics that i that i have
2: when just if you don't mind me asking when was the first time you had the dream and how many times have you had it oh god i would say uh, probably the first one was about 10 years ago okay
3: you know and, and i was at a trans trans you know at a road i was single um by myself uh, in, in, in this, this house, which was large, uh, nobody there, just me, just an empty house, me and a dog. Uh, and it, it, it you knew you were missing the boat. You, you, something was wrong. Um, and something needed to change. Um, and, and the, the horrifying point was that the younger self spoke mm-hmm. and that was probably the rare time. Usually, um, if you speak, it's not verbal in the dream, you know, there, there aren't words and, um, you know, the, the issue was that I asked myself what I had become.
2: Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what you asked. Your, that's, what the, yeah, yourself, that's what my younger
3: self asked me. What have you and become? I, I didn't have an answer.
2: Wow. Yeah. I didn't have an answer. And then in the, in the years since then you've had the dream, how many times have you had it? Um, probably maybe once a year, maybe, mm-hmm.
3: maybe, okay. you know, occasionally here and there, um, here and there, uh, I would sit down and say the, the, the last time I had it, um, mentally I went and picked up my daughter and showed my younger self my daughter
2: Mm, and how did how did your how did your younger self react to that
3: um it was like a sister i never had you know that Mm. you know and it, it had that kind of like i i wish my daughter could have experienced my younger self, mm-hmm. you know, and this was an opportunity at least for, in my mind, bringing the two of them together, you know, because my daughter's always going to see me as dad, you mm-hmm. know, and even though I play and do different things and, and we were silly and, uh, do all sorts of goofy stuff. Um, she will never know the little boy,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, it may come out, you know, but she'll always see the man. She'll always see dad. Um, but I, I think my younger self would have been absolutely in rapture with her. And, um, yeah, it's 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 not nothing that I I would hide or or feel threatened by anymore. It's it's something I would welcome, and and in many cases, I wake up uh, thankful that I had that dream
2: or that experience. You know? it sounds like um, it sounds like there's parts of you. I don't think it's just one part, but there are many parts of you that have been seeking to be integrated. This question, oh,
3: without a doubt, and while you're,
2: well, you're in the process of integrating them, which is which is the ultimately well, masculine the, task. The right? interesting thing
3: is, uh, for a long time, is that when I was Socrates, and, and by the real means that you you're living a very fragmented life. You know sure. that in in and, and, and I, I this is going to sound obscene too is that. um That when I'm Socrates at these conventions, I can be more me than what I am in real life, Mm -hmm. is that Socrates isn't incumbent upon a job, a mortgage, a house, and all those things that tame you or hold you in servitude. Uh, That I can do different things. I can, um, you know, one of the ways I express it, and it's going to sound obnoxious, is the shirts I (laughs) wear. You know, there are always these really bright and vibrant things, you know, because I could not normally do that at work. You know, that's just not something we're going to do. And as an architect, we should be fluent in color. We should think in colors. We should dream in colors. And I think it's obnoxious when we don't, you know, and, and an architect's uniform is just black, you know, or turtleneck, you know, back in the day or whatever mm-hmm, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I kind of embraced that and it became kind of a brand thing. And, and, uh, and, and I do love them, don't get me wrong. Uh, but yeah, it
2: just, it's, it's kind of unique that way. So. That's actually one of the questions I was going to ask you. Is you have this very distinct kind of visual style, you know? And, and <laughs> when I first saw your name and on YouTube, Socrates. Like, what's this guy is going to wear? Is he going to wear a toga? And then there you are in this brightly colored shirt. Like, I did not see that coming.
3: Yeah. Yep. Well, and and part of it is is that you know it. A lot of it is is that. Um, one, I get to express myself and then two, you're, you're donning, um, a suit in essence, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not like what Tanner Guzzi would sit down and say, you know, I, have got a suit normally and a tie, but I'm, I'm becoming Socrates mm-hmm. and it's, it's interesting going from my personal life. There've been cases where I, I hate to say this, where I literally go from work to home and I'm at a convention 45 minutes later and that's too fast. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have that chance to transcend to something. So the shirts help, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I will still be an architect thinking I'll be in my head architecturally, you know, with a job and whatever I got to do, but the shirt kind of tells me I'm taking on a different robe. I'm, I'm taking on a different role mm-hmm. uh, physically and, and it, it does call attention to, it. you know, there's, there's no doubt, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. you know, um,
3: it's, it's a form of peacocking, you know, in the pickup. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask uh, about that. Yeah. But, but it's not peacocking in the way in which pickup artists would do it. Right. You know, and, and I was, you remember the first couple of times I, my first talk, I literally was wearing a white shirt and black slacks, Mm -hmm. you know, the very first talk, you know, and and I'm like, oh God, it's horrible, you know, and so to come back into where those sort of clothes it also sat down and said, I, "I'm I, even though I'm from that group, I'm not of that group. And w- there were some times that we had some guys that uh, were promoting some things that I just didn't stand for or, or just that lifestyle. But I can do it at a level that you can't, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, it's, it's, you know, guys can wear a mohawk in color, but you're not going to be able to afford the shirt that I've got, you know, and, and that's telling you the level of refinement. And so it was interesting reading uh, Tanner's book, uh, The Appearance of Power and mm-hmm. uh, seeing his videos are stellar. Uh, if, if you pick it up, definitely read it where he talks about uh, the archetypes of, of masculinity and knowing which tribe and why to mix and everything else. And, and it becomes a really interesting study when you intentionally do that, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, that, Um, evidently I'm a lot more roguish than I would have anticipated, which I, it kind of does make sense, but there's a refinement, not in that, that element of I'm getting along through intellect. It's just a whole different display level. And like Tanner says, he is, you're, you're not afraid of color. Here's, there's just no way that when you do that, uh, it's going to be that level. And, And it's not just that the shirts are loud. They're, 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 particularly well put together
2: oh they're nice uh, shirts put,
3: yeah yeah and i i happen to like them where they're they're interesting from afar but as you get closer to them be, they become even richer the texture mm-hmm. the textile the the uh the fabrics uh the motifs on them uh become vast much more interesting even up close and mm-hmm. i i really particularly enjoyed that uh and so particularly with this last one it was a, just a whole series of You know, it's like an old world medieval library spilled out on a shirt. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I particularly like that one is because there was so much of interest that you could look at. And in a lot of cases, that is reflected by my own personality. It's very eclectic.
2: So we're talking talking a bit about integration of your... um of your inner self and your dream, and we're talking a bit about how, um, a bit ha- about how you kind of integrate some of your um, Socrates personality with your with your non-Socrates personality, your real world personality. And one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is: I'm a big believer in art and its ability to sort of heal and transform and inform us yeah. as men. And, um, I'm a big fan of the architect Calatrava, you probably, you probably. Yeah, have. yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, Spanish architect. Yep, modernist. Yeah, I've seen some of us, uh, some of stuff Damn modernist, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask, like help bring me out of the world of, of the Renaissance of men of the Manosphere of 21 convention. Can you bring me like, just in this conversation into your world as an architect? So let's, let's integrate those two worlds a bit. So they're less separate.
3: Oh God! You know it's it's so terrible. Everybody thinks there's an architect of you know like Calatrava, this this master architect, a single single individual with a grand idea. Mm. He's able to transcend many disciplines, architecture and structure, and you know all these things. And the the, the profession is not like that at all. No, of as a matter course fact, not. It's it's going at lengths to destroy that, and I I have I have issues with that. Um, that they, they're they intentionally going out and destroying the great man, and in particular mm-hmm. what they're not saying, the great white man, uh, and to be a collaborative thing. And it becomes much more of a process, a, um, a collaborative process uh, to the point that they're denigrating uh, the insights that a single individual can can have when they lead. And so it would be very much like an orchestra uh, devaluing the conductor, mm-hmm. you know, that there isn't somebody bringing it all together. Um, and they're infusing a whole series of other things with it. So I, I kind of not so jokingly state that, you know, everybody thinks uh, an architect's really good with their hands and colors and draws and that's what we do. Uh, in reality, I'm part rodeo <laughs> Um I'm a part Cowboy and I herd cats. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not you're not that you're herding cows. You know that they kind of get along, move along. No, you're you're herding cats and trying to be responsible for other people. I'm managing my subconsultants and their staff because they're not, mm-hmm. uh, and so you have to manage all that. Uh, and then also you're kind of a a, a ringleader and. Your size of your circus is the number of projects you're responsible for. And Mm -hmm. in this profession, you just don't take on a single project. It's not uncommon to have 10 or 15 projects going simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all at the same phase, which makes it even more interesting. It it makes it more manageable, but more interesting. Some are are early conceptual. Some are in closing and construction, whatever the case may be. And you have to organize all this. You have to be fluent in all that, plus legal law and navigate all these things. And you know, uh, it's just the nuances that you have to move from electrical engineering and mechanical systems to architecture being the theory, you know, you know, whether it's Catatrava or, you know, modernism versus, you know, any of the eclectic styles. And so you do have to do that, but your job is essentially to lead a client through that process, to create that vision, to get them from where they're at what 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 their challenges are and to move them through that process. And I've never been, I, I have not been fortunate enough to have a client that wasn't concerned about schedule, time, mm-hmm. money, and risk. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be fluent in not having any of those mm-hmm. to create, you know, you have all these additional hardships and, and it's not that like life, life treats you well like you know you have a thing called gravity you know in nature and and, and it just wants to tear it down and mm-hmm. and uh, you know we're taught that you know one of the, the most important lessons I learned in architecture is that water will win <laughs> you know <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you your job is to prevent it in your lifetime, you know, and mm. and so th- there's this mantra of, of constantly trying to improve. And it's a profession that can make you feel utterly stupid every day of your life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that's uh, amazing. Um, and, and, you're, and you're not giving a shit if you don't, you know, yeah. you're not trying if you don't. Uh, and so. It, it's, it's, it's not a young man's job uh, profession. Mm. It's definitely an older individual's profession from the standpoint there's so much involved to get really good at it, to be an empathetic uh, architect or, or a leader. Uh, you have to develop those skills, not only the technical profession within your, your, your discipline, but others and dealing with other people. Uh, so it, it's, it's a very – it's a lifelong profession. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, I, I think, though, too, that we overthink it. Uh, I, if I were to relive my life, I think I would have been far bolder than I ever was, uh, and I think I would have struck out uh, very intentionally on my own uh, to do that. That now, the risks involved are too great that it makes it very um, ill-advised in many cases, mm-hmm. and 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 you you suffer because of that. Uh, and I'm not saying I won't, uh, or that's the end all. Um, you, know, I, I, you know, I go from, you know, working multimillion dollar projects to if I work on my own, I may be able to do a door replacement for somebody. Okay. You know, it's, it's just this incredible exchange of I'm working on an airport one day and then the very next day, if I'm out on my own, I'll be lucky to do a, a door replacement at a mm. school you know, mm. or not, not qualified. Uh, it, and that sort of anomaly is kind of interesting. But I, I do think we're taught um, problem solving skills. You know, uh, we look at context as always terribly important. Uh, modernism's kind of skipped that, the international school, you could design in a vacuum and just sort of transplant the, the box or the form, wherever you want it. Uh, so context is important, environment's important. Uh, you're designing for people as well. And to take all those sort of things together and then to say form follows function. Okay, you can teach a monkey to put a bathroom next to a bedroom or, or the you know the garage in the kitchen or you know those sort of plan relationships. I think it, it, there's a talent and a skill to tickle out why,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, and for me, I have to be quiet. You know, I can't invariably in the course of business hours, sit in a busy studio, answer phones and everything going on and tease that out. It, it's usually at night in the dark and saying to myself or thinking to myself, um, what does this want to be? What, what's, what makes it different? And, and do I have the option to explore that? Is this is this the appropriate time or client to do that with? And uh, I have been fortunate that um, in my relatively short career, uh, I've had had a chance to do that, you know, to the point that they've been publicized and, and you know, show up on trade magazines. And, and you know, I can go to a company's website and I'm like, oh, yeah, that that, that was mine. Or, or uh, interesting when was fairly recently had a submittal come in for a metal sanding roof system and seen in their product literature, one of my projects, you know, and he's like, yeah, I, that, 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 that's mine, you know, and you're like, okay. Uh, and so there, there's that kind of personal fulfillment on it, but the, the, those moments are so fleeting, uh, they weren't worth the pursuit. Mm -hmm. And that, that's a horrible statement Mm -hmm. that it was just Mm -hmm. too much education, too much, uh, endeavor to uh, the in, in, in internships that we go through, you know, it ends up being about 10 years. You then have to, to pass seven licensing exams with relatively high failure rates. And, you know, to say it's seven exams, uh, they're three or four hours apiece. you know, so they're, they're, they're not small exams. Um, and once you get all that, you're, you're just an architect. You still don't really have control. You, mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing how little control you have. Um, uh, but we, we have learned skill sets in communication, advanced communication and idea thinking and um, I don't want to say networking, but teaming structures on how to achieve things so that uh, I have the ability to lead a multidisciplinary team that I don't have the degrees in. So I can work and talk about uh, sociology and biology and anthropology and you know, cultural elements and not have a degree in that uh, and, and speak so with confidence. Um, you know, and I also tell these people, it's like, great, you know, you know, I, I love the fact that you're you know, a psychologist, but what have you done with it? And, mm-hmm. and you know, interestingly enough, some of the best psychologists I've ever met, uh, I've befriended at the 21 convention where these guys are applying that skill set in different ways, in many cases against their governing bodies, uh, mm-hmm. which are really uh, a testament to courage. In yeah. um, one individual I can think of, she hasn't spoken, but I like to see her speak. She's actually given up her license. Um, because it was, was not congruent with how she believed the practice should be done. Uh, it doesn't mean she stopped helping people. It's changed because of legal, uh, constraints with that license. Uh, I, you know, I, I look at it and go, I, I don't know if I could do the same, you know, with, with the construct of my life. Um, and, and that, that becomes an interesting thing is that, you know, we talk about the, you know, a patriarchy is that maybe that's something I need to look into and redo so I can, uh, that, that I'm not contingent upon a very liberal um, institution that holds sway over my ability to provide for my family in that regard. Mm-hmm. You know, right or wrong, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so that, that's – you have to break the mold.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And Absolutely. so, yeah, and, and so as, as an architect, I, 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 I'm intrigued by not only the standard of practice – uh, but the alternative careers that we're we're starting to find and see, and uh, particularly my the skill sets that I'm able to you know, transfer to, you know, the the manosphere and helping men and uh, you know do all that sort of stuff. So, and and I, I just also find it terribly interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean that 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 was just my just my last question is like, how do you bring that forward in these things? So you've gone from the manosphere into the architecture world. Now, how do you bring the architecture world into the manosphere or into the Renaissance of men?
3: Well, you know the interesting thing is, is Anthony would sit down and say that uh, you know I'm his architect, you know, and we've we've talked about some of that uh, quite literally, and uh, I I tell him it's like, hey, look, I. I I, I can advise you on certain things. Don't don't hire me just because I'm your friend, right? You know, like mm-hmm. if, if you really do get the money to do the things that you need to do, you're, you're going to want somebody who's really adept at it. I could probably be a, a really outstanding owner's agent. Um, but you're not going to want to just rely this on one individual because I can. It doesn't mean I couldn't, but I, I would want the better for you. But we're able to have discussions about the built environment, about how do you provide uh, physical elements that does – does his business really need a physical entity like a building
1: Mm.
3: you know um you know with event planning and everything else and is there you know what are the 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 pros and cons for having a physical location Mm. you know currently we can move to any hotel any place in the world that will host us you know the 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 risk involved is that it can get shut down Mm -hmm. you know or or we don't control that you know is it does that outweigh some of these other things um are we really, you know, is the 21 convention really a event business or is it a multimedia business? And we just happen to throw events to do the filming, you know, and the discussion was, is what if you didn't have the event, but you did the filming or much smaller, you know? And so we, we kind of play on this and this goes back to programming mm-hmm. and, you know, and to say, what are the needs? What are the demands? What's it looking like? And to, to the extent that we actually, uh, he actually went to uh, YouTube studios to go look. You know, because they essentially have all the capabilities at in their California office to host an event, just like 21 convention, to mm-hmm. include all the editing bays and, and the, the breakout rooms and all that stuff. And and I said, you know, this is an outstanding example, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to a, a media company that's just doing production work, you know, or a, a film studio. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the component of having people there uh, is important to them. And mm-hmm. and I agree. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm so, you know, it becomes questionable. And then the question is, do you do it in the U.S.? You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to, you know, for example, when we went to Poland, you know, your money's going four times as far,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, do you really physically need to do that? You know, and, and so what does that look like? Um, and so I think there's a, a lot to be said about that. So, um, you know, in that regard, I think he's in the back pocket said, yeah, your your, your greatest piece of architecture will be, uh, you know, 21 studios, you know, in reality. Um, but, you know, and I, I don't want to break it to him, but I think he already knows is that My my greatest part will not be the physical, what I leave behind. It'll be the legacy of the people I leave behind. You know that, you know that, that that to me is ultimately far far more important. You know that that's, water. You know when we talk about water winning water will win and water is associated with structural failures more than 90% of the time, you know, and, and it, it eventually, everything will turn to rotten dust and disappear as will we. Uh, but I think my dent in the universe will survive my own life. If we project it forward that I may not ever be known beyond my own generation or two, one or two, you know, lost in time, but the impact can be resonate through time. And I would hope that I've done my part you know, and, and, honored my entire family legacies, you know, that, that lineage to this point to move the human species and the human culture forward to that degree, to get us through this time period, uh, to have lived now and to have thrived and to have lived fully. Uh,
2: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Beautiful. And I, I think you've made an amazing contribution to many men, uh, myself included. So thank you for thank that. You. Where can people go to find more about you and your work? Hi, right now, I've, I, it's, it's pretty limited. You can find
3: uh, an old blog that I had kind of up, up at manningupsmart.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it's primarily relationship-centric. Uh, you can find me on YouTube with Manning Up Smart as well. Uh, and you'll see bits and parts. And I, I continue to kind of feed that. Uh, but honestly the the most content you'll find will be on 21 convention and 21 studios uh, it's just I couldn't compete with uh, my time and energy in the go that he has such resonance that uh, I can talk to an audience of a thousand compared to you know a quarter of a million every time we produce something uh, so I, I would look that up on YouTube uh, you know type up Socrates and you'll find any number of speeches at 21 convention um, I'm probably more proud of more and more recent work uh, you can find all that behind uh, the 21 new, uh, video content. Uh, a lot of the stuff that resides there where it has been released to public, mm-hmm. uh, be the most significant. But, uh, what I tend to do in the future is to take any one of my talks. I'm usually uh, PowerPoint centric and do a voiceover PowerPoint and mm-hmm. to get that and batch that and just kind of put that out. Uh, and so you'll start to see kind of that development, but, uh, you know, in all honesty, um, if if you really want to find me, come come see me. Uh, and that's going to be at an event. Uh, I, I joke that we should sell a pass just to the hallways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if you do nothing, and this is gonna sound awful too, uh, get a ticket, show up to where we're at, find me in the hallway. We'll talk. You know, you don't you don't have to come to the event. You know, uh, you know, I, I say that people come for the presentations, but they say for the hallway conversations. Mm-hmm. I, I mean it. Um, and, and, and I think there's something terribly personal about not just finding content online, but finding the person, um, and actually flesh meeting. Uh, I think that's, uh, it's, 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 it's a journey, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and a hell of an adventure. It's like, you know, I'm actually going to go meet this individual. And I, I kind of enjoy it when I meet other speakers that I haven't met and I've seen their content. Um, I find, find people, make Mm -hmm. it an adventure. Um, you know, so I, I would sit down and say that's probably going to be your best way, and uh, you'd be surprised at the conversations we'll have.
2: <laughs> I think this has been a great example of a whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. This has been absolutely fantastic.
3: I, I absolutely loved it. I'm looking forward to your project. Uh, you definitely have a fan. I'm going to pressure you on, on on pursuit of this. I think it's terribly meaningful, and uh, you sir have a hell of a dent to make.
2: Thank you very much. I, I'm, I'm planning on it. And <laughs> you've inspired Excellent. me today. Thank you.
3: Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform, at ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.